Welcome back, everybody, to Picard Cast. Uh, this evening, I'm your host, Rebecca, and I am joined, as always, by my incredibly talented co-host, Brooke. Welcome back, Brooke. Hi, thank you. Yes. Yeah. It's so great to be back at Chateau Picard. Yes, I'm, I'm right now sipping my, my red wine. It's the 76, of course. It's it's the best year that, uh, that we've had here and um aroma what is it it's it's really i can't remember what they call that i'm sorry it like lingers on the palate and i'm enjoying it with a little want a little bread and cheese and i'm having a lovely evening um i'm totally not sitting in my living room in new york city with the air conditioner on because it's still hot first right even though it's the fall I'm shocked to say this, uh, Brooke, but we are actually, this is the last episode we will do before Picard starts. We made it. We did it. Yeah. Yay. Hooray. Yay. Um, We have reviewed all of the key episodes of TNG that you need to watch to get ready for Picard. And tonight we are reviewing the movie Nemesis, which uh, came, oh, scary, came out in 2002. And uh, this is the last movie for the TNG cast, and it really does tie pretty directly into Picard as far as we can tell on a lot of plot points. So um, we're going to break it down for you tonight, but we have not one, but two guests because it's a movie and we figured let's bring two people um, to the, to the cinema. So joining us all the way from Scotland, we have (laughs) Faye. Welcome Faye. Hi guys. It is Lovely to have you here with us tonight reviewing uh, Nemesis for Picard Cast. Thank you very much for having me. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Um, and let me introduce our other guest. Not quite as far away as Scotland. He's in our time zone. I'm not sure where you live. It's Steve. How are you, Steve? <laughs> oh, great, guys. Thanks for having me. I am in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Oh, okay. Okay. I feel terrible that I I pumped up that Faye was from Scotland. I'm like, and you're from I don't know where. I it's don't definitely know. not as exciting as Scotland. I admit that it's beautiful, but it's probably not as beautiful. If you if you look at the it's say uh, that, but no, Scotland's <laughs> not that pretty. <laughs> if uh, if you look at the map of the United States and you see the the it looks like the little guy holding a plate of chicken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> made out of the states i can't remember what they call them but it's i don't got, know like, the either letters from the from the names of the states uh yeah uh steve is the tray and i'm the chicken because hey. it's the chicken and <laughs> well and i mean kentucky fried chicken yeah. i mean i know it worked come out on. So perfectly didn't it that's perfect that sounds like typical of my life. I'm I'm the place setter for the main course on top. <laughs> well, since we have two guests, um, we're going to jump right into just getting to know you a little bit and for our listeners to get to know you as well. So let me start with you, Faye. How did you get into Star Trek? What was your first exposure to Trek? My first exposure to Trek was actually Next Generation. And it was on... Six o'clock every weekday night on BBC Two, and I would do my homework, and then I would sit down on the couch and I would watch Star Trek: Next Generation with my mom, um, because 
Picard. She had a little bit of crush on our Picard. So, yeah, it was my first exposure. And from there, I ended up watching Voyager. And from there, I ended up watching DS9 and so on and so forth. Um, Ended up being a bit of a Star Trek nerd. Loved it. It's brilliant. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, You're not the first person to talk about someone having a crush on Picard. I'm fairly confident in saying that majority of people have a crush on Jean-Luc Picard, whether they are straight or not. <laughs> no, I, it would not surprise me at all. Personally, personally, I think my problem has always been Jonathan Freaks and his beautiful beard. Um, <laughs> Setting the standards far too high for tall, dark and handsome for me for the rest of my life. Because also <laughs> my mum made it very clear that Picard and... Um, I was not allowed anywhere near that man. That man was hers. <laughs> in an alternate universe somewhere, my father is actually Patrick Stewart. All right. Yeah. You know what? I believe it. Yeah. I believe it. I've seen enough movies with alternate timelines, and <laughs> I believe that somewhere out there, your father is Sir Patrick Stewart. Yeah. And I yeah. accept that. Yeah. I accept that. Faye, just so you know, there have been a lot of times over the course of this podcast where I've said that Jean-Luc is sexy. So it's totally, it's totally fine. <laughs> yeah, it's something. There's something about that, man. It's the fact that he's ageless, I think. He hasn't mm-hmm. aged today. He looks great still, I agree. He does, doesn't he? So am I, am I correct in, in assuming that uh, Picard is your favorite captain of all the Star Trek captains? Um, you are quite correct, but very closely um, followed by Captain Janeway. Oh, excellent. Correction. Admiral Janeway. We'll get her off the Admiral Janeway. Don't get it. <laughs> and then uh, why did you pick uh, Nemesis to review? Why was this your choice? It's the first Star Trek film that I got to see in the cinema. Okay. So it's the first one I saw on the big screen. So I, I, it has fondness for me in that respect. Okay. No, absolutely. When you see something in the cinema for the first time, it absolutely is a big thing, uh, especially for Star Trek, which you had a love for at an early age. So, uh, okay, great. So uh, let me jump over to Steve. Steve, what was your first exposure to Star Trek? Well, believe it or not, uh, as, as much of a Star Trek nerd as I am, the I, I haven't seen any series live. So the first series I've got to watch live as it's happening is Discovery. Okay. So I'm actually very much looking forward to uh, this Picard series. But what was happening was that after I got out of school, uh, in middle school, um, they would play the reruns. And I think they started exactly at 4 o'clock, which worked out perfectly for when I got home. So as soon as I got home, you know, pretended to do some homework, threw my books away, and then at 4 o'clock, Star Trek would come on. And Sorry, The Next Generation, excuse me. You know, I just fell in love with it. It was I wasn't even a sci-fi person at the time, never thought anything about it. And and, and that series just really turned me on to the the whole world of, you know, not the crazy makeup, far-fetched alien stuff, but like, you know, the human side of space exploration. And I really loved it. Okay, cool. And so who's your favorite captain then? You know, believe it or not, it's exactly Faye. It's 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 Picard, of course, and then mm-hmm. very very closely followed by Janeway. I was gonna say, Faye is a Star Trek captain. I know, I have no <laughs> idea. Sorry, Captain Faye. I didn't know. I don't know. With that accent, she might be my favorite Star Trek yeah. captain. Yes. <laughs> Are you related to Scotty? Please say yes. 
Who was also not actually Scottish. (laughs) Take it to a for a bunch of Americans to ask a Scottish person that question on a Star Trek podcast. I know. I I I promise I'll hold up during the line until the end. (laughs) I know James Dewan wasn't really Scottish, but you don't need to break my dreams there, bro. Canadian, right? He was Canadian, yeah, and he was um, great at accents, mm-hmm. and he co-wrote the Klingon language. So well, there you go. Right. I didn't know that. <laughs> I'm full of I'm full of useless facts about Star Trek. Oh, that's wonderful. I didn't know that he did that. Sure. Yeah, he was a linguist. Like he really had a um, had a real talent for languages, and he co-wrote uh, the Klingon language for Star Trek. So there you go. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then, Steve, uh, why did you pick Nemesis? Why was this your choice uh, to review? I just think that, uh, first of all, I enjoyed the movie when I saw it the first time years ago. And I was very surprised about the backlash that it got. Um, to me, it seemed like a symptom of you know low box office numbers and everybody just jumping on a bandwagon saying about how awful it is. I mean, it definitely had its problems, but I enjoyed it. So... I guess I'm a nemesis apologist, so I guess that's why I'm here. <laughs> okay, listen, I um, I think it's great because we're going to have a couple of very differing viewpoints. So just to sort of peel back the curtain a little bit, um, Brooke had not seen Nemesis until just a few days ago, right, Brooke? Uh, or a week, a week ago or ago, so? Yeah. Okay. I've seen Nemesis many times, and going into this podcast, I was not a huge fan of it um steve i know you said you are kind of an apologist for the movie you enjoyed it Faye, going into this what was your feelings about about nemesis did you enjoy the movie did you not care for it do you know i think i looked back on it in such a rose tinted sort of way and i've re-watched it a couple of times in the last few days and it's so problematic for me (laughs) (laughs) But I think the bad outweighs the good. Oh, okay. I I thought I was going to come into this and be like, yeah, it's still a great film. No, still not a great film, actually. I I know more about film now. It's not that good. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Let me say one thing about it. I'm sorry. As being the apologist that I am, and then I won't won't say anything else about it. If there had been the fifth movie, which is apparently what the plan was, uh, the fifth and final movie uh, in the Next Generation uh, franchise, I think that people would look back on four and give a little bit of a break because on Nemesis, because the screen time was way down. On, on the actual crew. It's been a lot of villain time. I mean, Tom Hardy's a beautiful man, and I get it, but there was, if this was going to be the last film, you want a couple of things to tie up. You want to say some goodbyes. You want to do your thing. And, and I think that if there had been a fifth movie that we would look back on uh, on Nemesis and, and been like, you know what, this wasn't as bad. But mm. since it's the last thing that we got, then, then that's why it gets a, a really bad rap, in my opinion. Mm. I mean, certainly you you do make a valid point. Um, there is a lot of time spent on this villain. We're going to talk about all of that. You know, it's so funny watching this again at, at, through the lens of 2019. There are things that I saw in this film that I was like, oh, this is not good. I do not care for how 
this thing happened to this character. We will definitely talk about all of that. But I am excited because I think all of us are kind of sitting in a very different opinion. And I think that's going to make for some really great conversation. So we're going to dive right into this. Uh, so before uh, I we start the breakdown. So this movie, of course, Star Trek Nemesis, it d- premiered uh, December 13th, 2002. Uh this movie was uh, directed by Stuart Baird, who uh, worked, I think his, um, he's been in the industry a very long time. He's directed only a few things, um, and he is from the UK, actually. He worked on Skyfall. He actually worked on a couple of James Bond movies, which that answers some questions I had about this film. And he also worked on Superman back in the seventies, which is very exciting. Uh, this movie was also co-written, uh, by John Logan and, uh, with a story, uh, by Brent Spiner. Uh, he had, has a writing credit as does Rick Berman, who has been involved in star Trek since, uh, probably the beginning of time. Uh, This movie stars, of course, our regular cast, Patrick Stewart, Jonathan Frakes, Brent Spiner, LeVar Burton, Michael Dorn, Marina Sirtis, Gates, McFadden. And then we get into some really impressive um, guest uh, guest stars here. We've got Tom Hardy, of course, as Shinzon. We've got Ron Perlman, who is like unrecognizable Mm -hmm. (laughs) as the Viceroy. Who I don't think he's even given a name. He's just called Viceroy the whole time. Um, even on IMDb, he's just listed as Viceroy, which is interesting. And then uh, we also have, of course, a few uh, familiar faces. Whoopi Goldberg does have a cameo. Kate Mulgrew has a cameo. Will Wheaton has a non-speaking part in this movie. I don't quite know what that's about. Um, oh, and also, listen to, they listen to mm-hmm. the fans? I guess so. <laughs> he finally shut up, Wesley. So yes. <laughs> no more talking from you. And apparently Brian Singer had a, is a, in this movie as an extra. So boo on him. We know why. I've just got, I like, if you all could have seen the look on my face when she said that, I was like. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> We all know why uh, we don't like Brian Singer. So um, let's just dive right into this movie. So when we start this film, uh, we are basically uh, computer problems. Sorry. Oh, let me step in there while I, while Rebecca. Yeah, I I was just going to mention John Logan. Uh, He wrote some good stuff and it was kind of a shame uh, that, you know, I mean, he wrote Gladiator and I don't know if you guys ever saw Rango. But I actually kind of love that with Johnny Depp as the cartoon lizard. And oh yeah, yeah. It dude, it's really I underrated. Didn't, I didn't end up getting to see the whole thing. The dialogue is great, and you know he did uh, Penny Dreadful, which is one of oh, my favorite Showtime shows. That's it's a that's a great series. I like it a lot. Apparently, it's coming back again. There's like another part of it or something. I don't. Not the same characters. Right, but. right, right. That's one and of then Josh I, Hartnett's best things he's ever done. It's a great show. Uh, he did the screen adaptation for Sweeney Todd, which I really enjoyed. Hmm. So it was a really good, good, and I just think that they paired him with the wrong director. I mean, I, I really do. I mean, it, this guy had barely watched any Star Trek before Next Generation before he he took on this project, which obviously you, you can tell in the, the, the film it was a big mistake. Yeah. Um. 
There's a, okay, yeah, we are going to get into uh, things that we find wrong and things that we love about this movie, right? Because I, I, I always say your fandom should be strong enough that you can criticize it, but still love it as a whole, right? So, like, we might pick this movie apart. Well, we will pick this movie apart, actually. And, and there will be things that we do not like about this movie, but there's going to be things that we do like about this movie. I'm sure that there is. So, we will... Definitely get into all of that. Um, but I'm glad you brought out that that point about uh, the writer, John Logan. Uh, he has done some great stuff. And and certainly, like, even the director, I mean, he, he's, he was also an editor on a lot of other projects, which I think maybe editing might have been his stronger point. Absolutely. Sorry. Two Mr. Oscar Stuart nominations. So. Yeah, like, if, if you're listening to this somehow, sorry, I think you should have <laughs> stuck to editing. But maybe directing not his strong point because uh, there's some things I probably would have done different, I guess, if they let me direct this. And and I never know why they didn't let Jonathan Frakes direct this. Like he's done great work with Star Trek and other projects, and but they never even asked him. So there's that. Well, we know he's coming back for Picard. So yes, indeed, which is uh, exciting yes. too. I'm happy to see him come back, not only as Riker, but see him happy to direct a couple episodes too. Yeah, whether there's any of the other people in the episodes he directs, like he knows this franchise and he knows the character of Picard and I'm sure he can envision where he's going now and everything and I think he'll do really well. Oh yeah, I, I agree. I don't I can't imagine him not doing a good job directing, you know, Patrick Stewart as as Picard. Uh this movie opens up uh we are Flying through space, we land on Romulus in the Imperial Senate. There's talk about this guy Shinzon and his Riemann forces. Um, they decide we're not going to team up with this guy. Um, there's like some arguing, discussion, whatever. One of the council members leaves behind an incredibly ridiculous looking amulet. Uh, <laughs> Which then opens up and showers everyone with green sparkles, and then it, they all die. So, <laughs> the green sparkles are not good, uh, as we can see here. I thought it was cool opening this movie up on Romulus. Uh, you know, they've always been great villains, like, for the Star Trek franchise, and, you know, our, our like, arch, arch nemesis kind of thing. But, um, oh. oh, I said the name of the movie is the thing. <laughs> I have a question. Oh, go for it. Do they talk about Remus at any other point in the series? Did I miss that at some other point? This is a great question. Because I <laughs> had always wondered why there was a Romulus and not a Remus. But then it's like, okay, if there's Romulus and then they sent, like, the people they didn't like to Remus, like, you know, like a prison colony or something or whatever it was. But then they're also related to Vulcans, and then some other spe like who was the original species that they all. <laughs> anyway, I got like real deep into it, uh, asking myself these questions the other night, and I had no one to answer them. <laughs> yeah. So okay, and then I, so I know that uh, Mark, you and Faye, Mark. I'm so sorry, Steve. Why did I say Mark? You and Faye. Um, I know our our Star Trek nerds just like just like we are. So if you have further information, definitely jump in here. They do mention Remus, I think, one time in the original series, very briefly, because of that legend of Romulus and Remus. But as far as 
I know, this is the first time that they ever go into any detail about Remus being the sort of um, it because it's it's locked into with, with Romulus. It it doesn't rotate. So this is the first time that I can think of that they do mention Remus. Do, do you guys remember anything else that I am blanking on? So for all intents and purposes, this is the introduction of Remus and the, and the Reman people. I know that Enterprise, uh, the show Enterprise brought him up later to talk about the dilithium mines and, and okay. mention Remus, but that was obviously post, post uh, this movie. Okay. Yeah, I um, yeah, I I cannot think of any other time that they really brought this up. So yeah, Brooke, as far as we all can figure out, this is the first time that they really talk about Remus. And so being... here's a quote, if you if you care, when writer John Logan came up with the idea featuring Remus as the villains of the 2002 film Star Trek Nemesis, he first had to explain to Rick Berman and Brent Spiner who exactly the Remus were. <laughs> so I don't that's pretty strong evidence if you have to explain to the rest of your the writer of the show and, and a co-star that didn't know who Remans were so yeah I so it, as yeah it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a uh, weird thing to introduce so late in the series like this mm-hmm. after we've had the Romulans around since the original series um so and then to answer the other part of your question Brooke uh, as I recall the the story of how the Romulans came to be was that they basically broke off from Vulcan um, when when the Vulcans decided to ad- adopt this purely logical um, way of life right. and and deny emotion and suppress emotion and devote themselves to logic. There were a group of people who did not agree, and this is going back like centuries and all that, and they basically left Vulcan and started their own um, uh, thing on on Romulus, and they became the Romulans. Yeah, okay. As far as I know, that's how the Romulans develop, which is why they are similar. Of course, they look very similar to Vulcans, but they have a different philosophy in life. You know, they're definitely much more modeled after, like, the Roman soldiers, whereas the Vulcans are definitely modeled after, like, a, a purely logical society. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, first time we're really learning about about Remus and Remans. It's kind of strange, but um, so uh, after that uh, incredibly uh, wild opening, we then uh, jump to a much calmer setting. Picard's giving a speech. He's ta- basically he is giving a best man speech mm-hmm. at uh, Riker and Troy's wedding. I don't know about you guys. Definitely, I want to hear your thoughts. I I thought this was one of those moments in the movie where Picard was not acting like Picard. Like, his speech to me was very almost silly at parts. Like, when he's like, what about my needs? And he's telling Data to shut up, and he's wanted to say that for 15 years. And he has told Data to shut up, like, in the series. So, I I don't know. I, I just thought this was a little silly, even for Star Trek. Because Trek can get pretty silly. What uh, what did y'all think of this of this like uh, wedding speech? I, I liked parts of it where he was talking about, you know, um, Riker being his number one, and you know, Counselor Troy being his friend, and co- you know, all that kind of thing. Like that part was good, but yeah, the other bit. It, <laughs> 
Picard is too classy to do that. <laughs> to, to be making, you know, jokes like that. And besides, he should have said, shut up, Wesley, because that's just a better thing to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Faye, what about you? It's just so awkward, isn't it? And he's such an eloquent man. And it's the perfect opportunity for him to quote something beautiful, which is something you would expect from Picard. And he chooses it to say in a very whiny voice. What about me? What are you doing? Leave me alone. You're buggering off. What are you doing? <laughs> and is it, is it too late? Well, actually, you're having a speech afterwards. Yes, it's too late. They are already married now. Um, <laughs> it's just very... Everything's very awkward about it. None of the chemistry that we expect from the cast seems to be present at all. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. think there's been situations in, in The Next Generation where you see Picard, quote-unquote, let his hair down. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for example, the, the episode where uh, he invites uh, Guinan into the holodeck to live out the like the Dick Tracy detective mm-hmm. fantasy. And he uses that really horrible New York accent. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and, sure. And you see that. And it's like, look, I, I understand what you guys are saying. And, and, and you, that's your Picard and you want Picard the way you are. But we have to understand that there are some times where he's amongst just the, his core group of friends because these people are his friends now. Not He's not there as a commanding officer. He's there as the best man in a best friend and i thought the speech was really selfish and it was all about him and all promoted data in the middle of the speech i didn't really understand that part but (laughs) i I don't i don't think it's too uncharacteristic i think us as the audience doesn't get to see that side of him so i can understand Mm -hmm. how it's awkward but i mean there are parts where picard you know just drops his guard and, and and tries to you know just do have fun and do his thing so Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I can I can absolutely see both sides of that. You know, kind of trying to show Picard, like as you said, letting his hair down. I don't know. I I've watched this movie a couple times this week, and every time I watch this scene, I'm just like, oh, like I'm just a little cringy with it. But I I do like the very end where he does. He says that like they're his family, which I I I love that. You know, they they really are his family. Because by now, you know, his brother and his nephew have died. And so there's really no one left, like, who's a Picard per se. So, like, these people are his family. Yeah, I I, I did enjoy that bit for sure. And then, uh, so then uh, we got this wedding receptions in full swing. We get a little cameo from Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan. She says uh, 23 marriages uh, is her limit. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was very funny. Again, speaking to like how little we know about Guinan and how old she actually is. Uh, Worf is hungover, which is uh, very funny to me. And um, we get a little bit of Brent Spiner singing where uh, Data gives his gift to uh, Riker and Troy as he sings them a song, Blue Skies by Irving Berlin. What do you and, think uh, that Worf's problem with Irving Berlin is? Yeah. No did clue. You, did you no notice that? He was really upset by the fact that it was a Berlin song. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he, when he's that hungover and, slash drunk, because I feel like he was he's hungover from the day before, but probably drank some more, you know, kind of thing. Sure. <laughs> that, I just, uh, I, it just really, that maybe Irving Berlin really just gets on his nerves. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> 
He just really hates 1940s jazz singers. Like, yeah. It really bothers him. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's, it is odd. Um, again, I, I don't know. These are just some odd choices for the characters here, in, in my opinion. But we, we do get past this, uh, this whole wedding scene. And they do talk a little bit about how um, they're going to go to Beta Z for the Beta Zoid ceremony, where, as we know, everybody's naked. Mm-hmm. And... For some reason, like, even uh, in the next scene when they're back on the Enterprise bridge, they're kind of still talking about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Worf is like, I don't want to be naked. And everyone's like, oh, especially Picard is kind of like, oh, you, you're a strapping, handsome guy. What are you afraid of? And meanwhile, I'm going to go to the gym because I'm old and flabby. And I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to tone up a little bit here. Uh, here's where we kind of get the first MacGuffin to the story where they pick up a positronic signal and from the Calarin system, uh, which is the same signal that Data's brain has, they're going to go and investigate it. When they do get to the system, uh, they go to Calaris 3. They tell you it's an it's happened by a pre-warp civilization of people. Picard decides to go down to the planet because he wants to try out the brand new Argo. Jordy recommends they don't beam down because there's an ion storm coming. And then we get, eh, this is a problem scene here. Uh, Picard uh, calls Riker Mr. Troy when he leaves. Yeah. Everybody laughs because apparently casual sexism is still alive in the 24th century. And, <laughs> and you know, it's like, it would have been great if it was... Uh, because he married a Betazoid that he would now have her last name or whatever, you know, and it was like, and if he'd be like, oh, yeah, I forgot, you know, kind of thing. Not like, oh, he owned you from everybody else. Yeah, not a fan. Not a fan of this moment. Um, uh, Faye, any thoughts on on this moment? Some of the there's moments in this are really like soap opera-y, if that is in fact a word. Um and this is one of those moments because it does this horrible editing moment to his face as he reacts like <gasps> he, I can't believe he offended me in front of everyone on the bridge. Everyone is laughing. Oh, oh, oh. And it's absolutely terrible. It's not it's oh no, it's bad writing. It's very bad writing. It's re- it's really bad writing, you know. It, and there's some moment throughout the film, and it upsets me to say this as well. There are some moments in this film, particularly with a lot of the MacGuffins, that are quite self-indulgent for Brett Spiner, I think. And there are some moments where it's the writer did not whoever wrote those lines did not understand these characters at all like i wonder i mean i don't think any none of us have the the script in front of us do we like the original script because i wonder how much because you know sometimes directors take it upon themselves to say oh wait 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 why don't you do it like this why don't you say this instead and if you know somebody Mm -hmm. obviously doesn't really know What's going on? Well, it definitely fell on 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 Stuart uh, Baird way more than the writing because even uh, Deanna Troy said that he was an idiot, mm-hmm. and I mean, th- I mean, she was very vocal about how he didn't know anything about the Star Trek and the Star Trek world, which you know the director has the ultimate influence, and and, and like you said, can take a script 
and make it actually sound and mean something different than the way it's written just by not even changing the words. Mm-hmm. And that's 100% right. And uh, yeah, it just wasn't it, – it wasn't – he wasn't somebody that could work together with the Star Trek lore and the writer and, and produce what Brent and, and, and John – but I do agree with Faye as Brent – was a little self-indulgent in this movie. That, that's a point that I never even really thought of, but that is, that's a hundred percent true. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of just, uh, and, and, and we're going to jump around because as we always do, but like, even if you jump to the very end of the movie where data makes the ultimate sacrifice and he, he sacrifices himself to save the ship. Oh, but it's okay because we've got a backup. For me, and I know we're jumping way ahead here, but like for me, I felt like that kind of took some of the meaning of out of of the sacrifice out of it. But then it's also like, oh, but Brent can always come back. Like, don't worry. I mean, I don't know if you guys feel the same or if you feel like it was it was totally fine. And if you want to wait to talk about it till later, that that's okay too. But I, I think it just speaks to how self indulgent this script can be to to Brent Spiner. Rebecca, I agree with what you're saying, particularly for the fact that the proximity for the scene of him sacrificing himself to the scene where before is sitting at Picard's desk. It's so close in time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're right. That takes away from data sacrifice. You know, if that would happen midpoint in the movie and then the final scene is, is before, you know what I mean? Or like a callback. It would have been a little kind of touching, but I think the fact that it was like five minutes later, you know what I mean? Before yeah. sitting there, it, it's a little that, – that was clunky, very much so. Even the yeah. sacrifice doesn't feel sacrificial though because it's like it's there's no build-up to it. You sort of – he arrives, we get a callback to an earlier MacGuffin and <laughs> he fires the laser. He dies, but there's no emotional like build-up to that. There's no mm-hmm. – lead up to that it's just ah data must be a hit like we're not getting to have picard the hero we have data the hero and everybody's kind of left a bit dumbed at the end the ending is very just everybody sort of standing around going right okay what just happened Mm -hmm. when he decides this plan or whatever to get over to the other ship he's just like jordy come with me you know it's like what? If we'd even giving us two minutes of him saying goodbye to Jordy would have yeah, made it. Yeah, they were friends. He doesn't even say goodbye to his best friend. That really yeah. bugs me about this movie. He does not say goodbye. They nod at each other. That's not a good for two people who have been best friends for years. Yeah. You don't even say a proper like I. I shall miss you, Jordy. Like even that you can't even give me that. Like. <laughs> but wait a minute. Did Jordy know that he was sacrificing himself? I think he had to have known. Yeah. I think he had to have known that 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 um possibility existed yeah. because remember that when they beam Picard over immediately after the transporter shorts out, there's no way to bring him back. They all know that. Mm -hmm. So the only thing they've got is that emergency transport button that we got shown early in the movie. So you could remember it existed. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, 
Dana slaps it on Picard, but we know that's only good for one person. And you know what I mean? Like Jordy knew that the transporters weren't going to work. They what were they going to do? Is it send out a shuttlecraft? I mean that that wasn't going to work either. So he had to have known. He had to have known that that was a one way trip. The worst part was is that LaForge actually had a whole box of those things back in his <laughs> office. Yeah, <laughs> that was the worst part about the whole movie. I didn't understand why he didn't just take two of them. He's like, he's like, yeah, I just had these laid all over my desk, so I shoved them all off into a box. Oh, I've got so many. I've mean, just been throwing them away. Like, they're <laughs> everywhere. Oh, my God. I, just, I know. I was Damn, using them to make my desk stable because it was a little wobbly. <laughs> I've been letting the kids play with these things. Didn't so you many. notice I gave one to Spot to play with? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh man, that's good. good stuff. That's the point, actually. That's the only line I would have needed. All I would have needed was <laughs> the saying to saying to Jordy, "Take care of Spot," and then running. Yes. Yeah. All I would have yeah. Needed. If, if it was like, oh, um, no, no, we we don't want there to be any thoughts that there was anything between Jordy and Data, so we can't even have them say goodbye or hug each other or none of that. Oh. At least him telling him to take care of Spot would have, we would have been like, oh, he knows what he's doing. We know what he's doing. Now Jory's mm-hmm. sad. and But no. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard not to draw a line between, and we've talked about this in a previous episode, it's hard not to draw a line between Data and Spot. Right. Mm -hmm. Because they are kind of sort of similar characters. And of course, Spock's death in Wrath of Khan, it it does also come out of nowhere Mm -hmm. to a degree, even though there are like little hints here and there. But even when he does die or when he does sacrifice himself, we still get the death scene. Mm -hmm. We still get him saying goodbye to his best friend, Jim Kirk, right? Like, the whole, you know, I have been and always shall be your friend. You can barely get the words out yeah. and spot that. It's a beautiful and touching scene. Absolutely. Even though, even though in, in Wrath of Khan, we are given that little hint when he, like, puts his Katra into McCoy, but that's a whole other movie. But, like, if we had gotten something similar with data a goodbye scene we didn't get that we have data saying goodbye to empty space after hard leaves that doesn't satisfy me it just doesn't and then five minutes later as as steve mentions we've got you know before the special robot sitting in the ready room like oh i don't know anything about data oh my goodness like it's just ridiculous Nah, it's a little. It is definitely self-indulgent to Brent Spiner. I mean, he did co-write the script, so mm-hmm. gave yeah. himself a big part. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. all right. So that was a, that was the final scene in the movie, right? All right. Thanks for. Are we done? Everybody. All right. Thanks, and, uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> good night, everybody. It's our quickest review ever. Oh my god. Yeah, um, like, who's Tom Hardy? <laughs> <laughs> I know we haven't even talked about Tom, but anyway, real quick, they go to Calaris three. <laughs> they. I know, trying to get back on track. Uh, that's why we got the breakdown. Helps me stay on track. They do drive around in this ATV-looking thing, picking up pieces of an android, which, of course, looks like Data. Can I um, backtrack? I'm really sorry of to Of course. Oh, of course. I, Go I right just ahead. looked at my notes, and I saw something I forgot to say because 
you know, we were just going on about yeah. uh, Worf not liking Irving Berlin. Um, something I did like in the wedding scene is before Data starts singing, he's like, ladies, gentlemen, a transgender, you know. Yeah. Oh, yes. And I'm like, this is 2002. That's really cool. I like that. You know what? You're absolutely right, which I think is what makes this that whole joke about uh Riker being Mr. Troy even worse because they took the time to mention transgendered species and I'm like <laughs> yeah but I don't think that they were woke in 2002 no, I, I but... think that was actually also meant as a joke so it's actually even more problematic well, I don't Coming know because it wouldn't be a joke Star Trek's always been sort of the always been very tolerant always led the way in sort of normalizing things and as much as it's not normal because everybody's blue and yellow and bright pink but still it's sort of like this is a future where anyone can love anyone be anything that they want to be and look it all still works nothing's all mm. falling apart yet everything's okay and i think it's sort of it's a little it's a i like the speech and it's a little bit clunky and that's why there's a couple of bits not just the mr troy but there's another bit later when we get to it i'll talk about it where it's a bit like okay this isn't what my track stands for Mm -hmm. i I think the things that make it clunky it's those seem to be the things that were probably at like added in later like oh no no let's try take where you do this and then you know it's like oh well it was his idea so he wants to put it in or whatever like Mm -hmm. because listen if brent spiner was writing with, uh, with other people on this he he knows how the and he's funny as a so he's not gonna make like stupid jokes necessarily just for you know to get a you know i just i just don't think that he would have necessarily wrote everything in there like that you know what Mm -hmm. i mean but i I think it's i think it's definitely something that steve hit the nail on the head before about it just not being the right director with Mm -hmm. the right writing team um you know and and you kind of look at an example of like you know jj abrams you know kelvin universe where JJ has said he's not really a Star Trek fan. He doesn't really have the love for Trek as he does for Star Wars. And so I think that that's very clear when he did the sequel that um, he just like had a list of what he thought fans wanted for fan service and like checked all the boxes and then called it a day (laughs) and left us with a movie that most Trek fans don't care for. And so I'm wondering if the director, it was kind of the same thing. Like, all right, let's make this movie about talking robots in space. Like (laughs) I, I kind of, I kind of wonder if that's what it was. And because I think that deep down, this may be very shocking. I think this actually is more of a Star Wars movie than a Star Trek movie, to be honest with you. And I'll tell you why in a couple of places, but I think they rely heavily on space battles, mm-hmm. uh, which I get. It's it's cinematic. You want more space battles. That's fine. But there's also this whole idea of like turning away from the dark side of the force kind of a thing. And I do think that there is more Star Wars than Star Trek in this movie, which I think is maybe why I don't like it as much, because I, when I see a Star Trek movie, I want that. I want but my science fiction. But it's the parts that would be like Star Wars aren't as fun as they are in Star Wars. That's the problem. That is the problem. It's not even like a good Star Wars movie. Like it's, it's not. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll we'll talk about all of that. I know we're just kind of 
the when, when we kind of touch on one thing, then we're like, oh yeah, and then there's that other thing, which is fine. Where we'll we'll jump all over the place. Um, so okay, basically they do collect all of Data's oh, this other androids parts like Easter eggs, and um, then there are these aliens who kind of look like they're from a Mad Max movie, and they show up and they're chasing them in their own ATVs. Um, and I don't know, they do this whole thing where like they drive off a cliff into the shuttle. <laughs> like, like Knight Rider Turbo Boost style, and I'm just like, all right, that's a little extra, but okay, definitely, it's very thrilling. Like, not you usually don't see that stuff in Star Trek. Uh, I I do want to say one of the things I did like about this scene is when they first come across the hand. Like, Worf is looking around trying to figure out where this positronic, uh, what is it like? Signal. Signal. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. I'm like, I can't think of words. Uh, but that's nothing new, uh, where he's trying to figure out where it's coming from, and then all of a sudden the hand comes out, like, not necessarily, I don't necessarily like this as part of a Star Trek movie, but I just liked it in general. And it comes out, and it's like Night of the Living Dead or something. Oh, yeah. Like, I thought that was cool, and it's like, you could probably sort of take these kind of in a horror sort of feeling if you wanted to, but then it would probably be more like Aliens movies, but... Mm -hmm. I like oh, the yeah, interaction between zombie. Worf and, and Data right after that. Oh, that yeah. was kind of funny. He kind of slapped him with a bit of a Captain Obvious, didn't he? Yeah, he did. <laughs> like, right? Like, Worf was a little like, thanks, Captain Obvious. <laughs> <laughs> so aboard the Enterprise, they uh, they study this android. They start to put it together. And the android's name is, brace yourselves, <laughs> B4. Because he was made before Data. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Not a fan of the name, personally. I think it's a bit on the nose, but uh, it's a little... It it sort of feels like that whole Martha scene in Batman <laughs> Superman to me. Like, that's just lazy writing, so... Oh. And they even, like, acknowledge that it's terrible. Oh, they do. It, yeah. You know, in the script, and you think that, that trying to make it... That makes it better, and it, and it, it doesn't work. Mm. It's still terrible. Yeah, yeah like, it's like the, it's like the that, biggest dad joke in the whole movie that his name is B four. It's like the way that Picard is like is like like says, oh, given given his penchant for whimsical, whimsical names, whimsical names, yes. And I'm like, the way he's delivering that line is just like, oh yeah, all right, we get it. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely a phone in line. Like, I don't even want to say it. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Yeah, not a fan of the name B four, and and he so and and B four is pretty much the dumbest android on the uh, in the galaxy. He knows nothing about nothing, mm-hmm. and yeah, um, I love him so much. He's me with a hangover. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know when you hit that point of hangover, where everything's really really hard. <laughs> That's B four. I know I was just gonna be mean and ask if she was if she was hung over the entire time I hung out with her yes <laughs> I'm just see kidding. that final day Brooke you know how hungover I was oh, right. oh yeah that like, I've actually day. seen you hung over that was a bad day yeah <laughs> Yeah, having ha- having been in the same um, uh, room as you, Faye, uh, <sighs> I get it. 
I do. Yeah. It's yeah. okay. You can be before. It's okay. <laughs> and uh, how did you like? How do you like how he described uh, Riker? The, uh, the tall man have a furry face. It's one of my favorite lines <laughs> in the entire film, and it's everybody's reaction to it is great. <laughs> everybody just sort of looks at each other and goes. Ugh. It's like if a baby could talk. Like if a yeah. if a toddler could talk, it would be B four. Like it. Why? Just, well, why? 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 <laughs> Why? When they put his head, when they put his detached head in, in, like, the, in like the glove box, like okay, not now. <laughs> like if it goes dark, maybe he'll be quiet. <laughs> maybe he'll think it's nighttime and go to sleep. I don't. Know. Um. <laughs> um. Okay, so I wrote down about before that uh, he was he was like the episode of Family Guy where. Um, Stewie was making clones. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, you know, like, so the more he would, more clones he would make, the worse they would get, and they would just be like, hi, I'm Stewie. Yeah, they would get, like, dumber. Yeah. yeah. And it was to- like, that's totally how he was. He's like, he's like, I'm before, I don't know where I am. <laughs> yeah. I, lo- uh, yeah, it's, I uh, yeah. It's a uh, it's a bit much. Um, now we have Picard in his ready room. He gets an alpha priority message from Starfleet, and it's Admiral Janeway. A nice little cameo here. Of course, Captain Janeway's back from the. She's brought her her ship back, Voyager, from being lost, and so now she's Admiral Janeway. And uh, they are basically ordered to go to Romulus. There's a new Praetor in power. His name is Shinzon. He's a Reman. And basically, uh, Romulus is saying that they want to talk maybe some peace with the Federation. So forget that wedding on Beta Zed. We're going to Romulus, everybody. And then here is basically where we get, like, the most exposition we've ever gotten about Remus. uh, That half of Remus always faces the sun. So everybody lives on the dark side of the planet. They have dilithium mines. They make weapons. And basically, the Romulans kind of view them as, like, a lower caste of humanoid. The Romulans use them as, like, soldiers, in the Dominion War that we saw in Deep Space Nine. So they're basically, they're not valued by the Romulans. The Romulans don't consider them equals in any way. Uh, And this particular guy, Shinzon, was in 12 major battles, and he survived all of them. So Picard thinks that this is a big coup, that there are people in the Romulan Empire who have helped him come to power, and it's going to be like a real shakeup to the Romulan uh, government. What do you all think about the designs of the Remans? Because it's understandable why they'd probably be, you know, very pale because they'd be in the dark all the time. It kind of reminds me of the fish at Mammoth Cave don't are like translucent and don't have eyes because they don't need them because mm. it's too dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like why I don't I don't get why they kind of look reptilian. <laughs> like they have these weird spiky sort of. I don't know. I just I don't understand why they're so far detached from yeah. looking like Romulans. Yeah, because in my brain, the re- the whole because of Romulus and Remus, and because of everything that conjures up, you think brothers. So you would think they would look similar somehow. Yeah. 
and yet they look like two entirely different species that makes no sense to me at all. They shouldn't look that much more different than Romulans and Vulcans. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. When Viceroy eventually appears, it's sort of, it's very surprising that he he looks... Yeah, I mean, like I said, I like I appreciate that they did like the pale skin because that would make sense. But everything else to me does not. Mm-hmm. God, Steve. Well, no, I was just gonna say my freshman year in college. Uh, you know, I had moved so far away from home. I didn't really, I didn't know anybody, and I didn't leave my dorm room for a very long time. And I, and I, I kind of, like I said, I'm an apologist. I kind of did look like one of those Remans <laughs> after a while. And that was only like, you know, three or four months. So I don't really know how long that these people had been on the dark side of the moon, but I, I can kind of relate to that. Yeah. Like, I mean, again, pale skin totally makes sense. I would imagine like if they, if they live in mostly darkness, their eyes would, should be bigger. Yeah. Like, to have more aperture so they could get as much light as possible. But the fact of of them with those long nails and looking, like, almost monstrous, I'm not really sure the purpose of that look. It, it's more, To me, it seems like it's more just to shock you as the audience, yeah. right? Like- to be like, whoa, they're so different than Romulans. Like, I think it's just more for us. Oh, like, hey. Like, less functional. Hey, let's make them look like Nosferatu. Yep. They that was definitely, like just that was definitely the inspiration. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They do look like vampires. And, like, it's odd. Like, I mean, um, I mean, that's fine if you want to make them look like Nosferatu, that's fine. I'm I'm behind the pale skin. I'm behind the sort of vaguely looking, you know, slanted eyebrows, and they have those like kind of subtle, like they're not really ridges, but like those subtle bumps that the Romulans have that the Vulcans don't. Yeah, but then they have like all of the ones like on their head too. Because really, it's... Steve, if you look like that in college, I want to know what your skin program was. <laughs> That was a long time ago. Were you drinking blood? I mean, I don't know. Maybe you were Nosferatu. I'm not sure. No judgment, though. I mean, you do what you got to do in college. Um, (laughs) Just hope you got consent to get that blood. Yeah. Exactly. It was my own blood. I just recycle it. Smart man. Smart guy. I figured this system out. I can work the system now. A digression. If you were a vampire and drank your own blood, would you be like a cannibal vampire? I guess I so. Right? Do, vamp- do they do they bleed? I don't. I'm not a big know. vampire lore. I don't, I don't know either. Yeah. Vampires don't bleed. Sorry. They don't. Okay. No. Because they're the undead, right? Ah, yeah. Yeah. Good point. I should know that. My wife has made me watch Buffy at least six times the entire <laughs> series. So. <laughs> you should be taking notes. <laughs> all of yeah. this in preparation for this podcast yeah. I watched six seasons of Buffy to get ready for this you episode you have no idea what you're going to talk about uh, seven seasons with us. oh I'm sorry seven I'm sorry seven <laughs> I mean we we went on a derailment about Chris Evans on one, uh, one episode so well, we I haven't know. even got to Tom Hardy yet I would imagine there's going to be a derailment there oh uh, no I'll just there, go ahead and give there. my thoughts I don't 
see why people think Tom Hardy's attractive. That's my <laughs> not just a hot take, Brooke. It's I had no idea. To me, I don't know. Anyway, sorry. I mean, have you seen his lips? Them, <laughs> we see them a lot in this movie. Did you They're know that prominent that they actually took him the, his lips down in this movie? That's a, that's a fact. <laughs> Really? Yep. They took it down to try to make him look like Picard, which obviously we're going to get to. I, I don't think anything they did made him look at all like Picard. But um, well, I think they shaved his head. I think that that kind of worked. But yeah. um, they actually did do a, like added like prosthetic like latex to his lips around his lips to make to reduce the size of his lips. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's in my show notes here. So it's a fact. Oh, clearly. I mean, if Steve I mean, wrote it down, it's a fact. I right. wonder. I just thought maybe it was because he was so much thinner. That maybe his because I, I don't know maybe maybe sometimes you know people grow more collagen in their lips when they bulk up I don't know do they <laughs> no probably not I was gonna say that's probably why I have such thick lips so. <laughs> I mean Brooke wrote that in her show notes so it's a fact <laughs> no all I wrote in the show notes about it was just like oh he's so thin and young. <laughs> Like 25, then I think is what I figured out. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was quite young in this role. Yeah, we're gonna get to Tom Hardy, I promise. But before we do that, we uh, find out that Data is gonna transfer all of, or copy, I guess, all of his memories into B4, which uh, again sort of is like very convenient. But um, it's the idea that he'll give him a chance to become more than he is right now because he's kind of like a, a blank slate. Like you know, there's nothing really going on in his head. So Data's given him like a jump start, but it doesn't seem to work because he's asking him questions. Like, do you know who the captain of this vessel is? And he's like, Nope. And he's like, you know where you are? A room with lights. Like, okay, sit down. <laughs> I have to say with this before character, uh, Brit Spiner invented the derp face. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much a derp face happening here. He's just Absolutely. Like, no. <laughs> derp. No. So uh, Jordy says he's going to basically hold on to B4 for a while, run some diagnostics. B4 is basically like a puppy. He doesn't, he's just there. Like, um, uh, so now uh, I don't know what else to yeah. say about B4. He's like a little ridiculous. But here we are now. Uh, it's, uh, we got the captain's log, stardate 56844.9. And if in case you'd like to know, that is Saturday, May 31st. In the year 2380 at about 1224 p.m., uh, the Enterprise has been waiting for 17 hours at Romulus with no answer to their hails. But we finally do get a ship that decloaks, and it is a monster of a ship. It's got phaser banks, it's got torpedo bays, it's got primary and secondary shields. This is where we get our first look at the Viceroy. Uh, played by Ron Perlman and his Nosferatu-looking makeup. Uh, he says he is... Uh, Picard thinks that he's the chance. Uh, he's he's the, the Praetor. He's like, nope, I'm the Viceroy. Here's the transport coordinates. Why don't you beam on down? Picard, Riker, Data, Worf, and Troy, they beam down to this large-looking throne room. Uh, Shinzon is there, uh, who, of course, is played by Tom Hardy, and he is kind of stays in the shadows a bit. We get another very upsetting says, scene I with. Born in the dark. Oh, sorry. I, I know that is I what went through my head. I had 
had to I make a Bane joke. I'm sorry. I know. You have to make the Bane joke because, again, you know, uh, he's born in the darkness, uh, just like <laughs> Bane. And another movie where they covered his face up. Why would you cover his face? He's, well, for some of us. Because the way he talks, you can see his bottom teeth and they're messed up. Oh my god! I have a thing about teeth. I'm sorry. Please, why? Probably because I don't like my own teeth. His teeth were terrible. I like him as a person. I think he's, I think he's funny, and I think he's a good actor. And uh, but yeah, he's just a he's just a dude to me. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. we do get another scene here. Uh, another really creepy in a very weird uh, sexist scene. Not sexist. That's not the right word. But like, just a creepy scene where he's he's. Staring at Troy, tells her he's never seen a human woman before, and can I touch your hair? And it's gross. And it's definitely one of the times we get, like, a bit of the male gaze of the camera here, and it's just really staring at her, which is ugh, weird. He does, uh, he does say that he wants peace and unity between the Romulan Empire and the Federation, and then he has them raise the lights, and so now we do see him, he, he's bald, and he's obviously human, he's not uh, Romulan or Reman, and uh, Picard looks, like, pretty shocked to see him, and uh, Shinzon goes into this whole story how he had uh, Shaloff syndrome as a kid and that it's a genetic disease. All the men in the, in the family have it. At this point in the movie, at least when I was first watching it, it was not clear to me that he was a clone of Picard. I found this whole scene to be very confusing. I remember the first time I saw it. Uh, I don't know how you guys felt, but I was like, what is going on? I don't under – I feel like I'm missing something. Like right. I should – it yep, seemed this. like the the crew the crew was reacting to something that we didn't see as an audience for sure. Exactly, because then when he when he cuts his hand with the dagger and uh-huh. gives it to Picard, and he's like, "Oh, you're going to want this for testing," and I'm like, "Testing for what?" Okay, and I'm like, "I feel like I should know what's happening, but I don't know what's happening, and now I feel dumb. Why do I not understand this scene? And I don't know if that's how the director wanted it." Or if it's just badly edited, I don't know. Okay, do you yeah. want to hear my thoughts on this scene? Of since course. I just saw. Of, okay, of course. I have of a course. lot. So when I first saw this, uh, so I have a lot of notes. Is what I was saying. I have a lot of notes. Um, like uh, he had, he has like this weird like uh, iridescent leather fetish. It looks like, yes. <laughs> like mm-hmm. he's coming out dressed like a uh, uh, pinhead going to a disco or something. <laughs> And that makes it even creepier with with how he's talking to Troy, you know what I mean? It's like, ugh. <laughs> and in that outfit, and it's all squeaking when he walks, like, what? But, uh, you know, I was kind of like, okay, I'm not exactly sure what's going on, but it's like, he's bald. Does this have something to do with Picard? And I see his face, I'm like, okay. It, I guess I, somehow they stole his sperm and made a Picard baby or something. You know, I was like, I don't know. But whenever he, like, cuts his hand and says, you might need this, I was like, oh, oh, is their DNA going to match? So I figured it out, but I, I promise I did not read anything about that. I hadn't heard anything about it because you all know that I don't sit around and talk about Star Trek and you guys would be the only people I would sit around and talk about Star Trek with. <laughs> but a thing I thought was funny is, you know, he's like, computer, dim the lights, or whatever. And 
in 2002, they never would have thought, like, in 10 years' time that we'd be like, Alexa, order me some more milk. (laughs) You know? (laughs) It's true. I mean, I was was glad to see that some of the technology was a little more sleeker, because, you know, by 2002, we had, like, flat screen computers, (laughs) monitors, you know? Dude, have you ever read the uh, article about the, like, the 25 things that Star Trek invented? Oh. Yeah, and it's like iPads, and and it was like, it, it's pretty good. They, they pretty much go into detail about, you know, them using props and then that thing becoming a reality, Except you know, like 10, 15 the, years later. Some of their handheld devices apparently didn't have apps, so they didn't invent apps because they no. have like seven of them that all each did something different. <laughs> Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah I think uh, I think flip phones is on that list. Um yeah. iPad for sure the is on that list. The the original series, the communicators would flip yeah. like that. Yeah. A flip phone. Yeah, for sure. It's a it's I a mean, flip phone. I mean Bluetooth, I mean if you think about the well, I think Bluetooth existed by the time Star Trek Next Generation came out, but like that basically their communicators are Bluetooth devices. I mean oh, I don't think Bluetooth existed in the eighties. I don't even know. I, I thought okay. it did. <laughs> now, have you all heard the story of Hedy Lamar? She she thought up of a she was a actress like I don't know forties or whatever. She I'm sorry if I get the time period wrong because I can't remember exactly. But she come up with this like frequency skipping stuff that we ended up uh, turning into Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and stuff. So it was out there, but it wasn't. You know, sort of like oh. GPS, how GPS was around for a while, and just the military had it, and then, you know, everybody else had it, so. Right. Um, but yeah, it wouldn't be something that the writers of Star Trek would necessarily be like, oh yeah, look, I read about this, but they might have been able to read about mm. it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, that's a valid point. I did forget that Hedy Lamar did kind of invent Bluetooth technology, that's just didn't know how to adapt it. Uh, okay, where are we? So, okay, uh, we go back on board the Enterprise. Dr. Crusher does her little testing, and she goes, guess what? It's a clone. And no one's quite sure how or why. Favorite line in this uh-huh. entire, like, I laughed out loud, and it's terrible that I laughed out loud. And please forgive me, Patrick Stewart. But when she says, oh, hair follicle, I nearly died. <laughs> they must have got a hair follicle. Was it his last one? Like, I mean, he doesn't have that many. <laughs> I know. I had the same thought. Or a skin cell. Let's go with that. Probably yeah. a skin cell. Hey, I'm still going with the yeah. sperm hair. <laughs> you never know. If anything is possible, it starts. So back in the Romulan Senate, um, we find out that Shinzon is the one who assassinated the entire Senate. And now his supporters are like, so what's the plan, dude? And Shinzon's like, mm, wouldn't you like to know? And uh, they're like, yeah, we would. So can you <laughs> tell us? That's why we ask. Um, but anyway, he, he keeps basically promising them the moon. And they're like, all right, but you better deliver. We get a scene now, which to me is, uh, again, a little troublesome. I don't get the scene. Commander Dinatra stays behind. Um, is, she wants to know, and she very like sexily walks up to him, and she's like, "What does the woman have to do to prove her loyalty?" And I'm like, "What is this about?" And um, he says to her, "You're not a woman. You're a Romulan." And I wrote, "Technically, they're both right." 
she is a woman and a Romulan. And uh, he wants her to spy on this other commander for him. She says that she will. And he's like, oh, if you touch me again, I'll kill you. And she's like, cool beans. And then um, I remember that scene differently. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. She's oh, like, okay. cool, cool, cool. Yeah, she, okay. What's crazy is that she just automatically, like, comes up, like, I guess because she doesn't want him to kill her, have a reason to kill her, and she's just like, so, what can we do around here? You know, uh, I'm going to do my best Mae West impression or whatever. And before he even asks her, you know, like, to do anything you know what i mean it's not like he's like will you do something for me and then her go oh yeah what do you want you know and then taking that wrong or whatever very strange i feel like not that i even think that would be better but it was just weird i i i feel like this movie does what trek sometimes has had a problem with which is writing believable parts for women of how women would talk and act and I just feel like, why would this woman, Not who we know... No- woman has to be, like, pussy galore or something. Exactly. Like, but we know nothing about her. We just know that she's a commander. We don't know anything beyond that of her. But the first thing she does is imply that she'll offer sexual favors to get in his good graces. Like, there's zero setup to that moment, where at least if there had been setup, like, if he had made an overture or if there had been some establishing that oh this is the way this is just the way things are done in our government like not that I would have made it right but at least we would have understood why she right away like offers I don't know it just didn't make a lot of sense well it doesn't really make any sense really because she's already at the beginning of the movie she's killed the entire senate for Mm -hmm. this guy because she believes in him so there's obviously some kind of dialogue and there's obviously a lot of interaction that she's had with this guy so she has to know his disgust for romulans and that whatever ploy she was about to do there had no chance of working whatsoever and she seems like she's in she's a a little bit smarter than that to already yeah. be in the position that she's in. So the, the scene itself, even in the context of the actual script and the movie, did not make sense. No, no, not at all. Yeah, one 100%. And I, I really, you know, this is, as much as I love my Star Trek, there is, there sometimes are problematic ways that they write with female characters, and we're going to see a lot of that coming up in a future scene. Yeah. Well, uh, it's like, yeah. It's like- uh, you know, a Greek tragedy where you don't actually know anything that happens except for the chorus tells you, but somehow the chorus is gone, so we still don't know what's happened before this because we there's <laughs> right. no there's no context to why she would even you know try to seduce him, even if she just wanted to make sure she lit like we 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 don't know that, and it's just like Steve said, it, she seems a lot smarter than that. Right. Threatening before she came on to him, which she hadn't been. And, and then she comes on to him and then he's threatening. Like she she doesn't seem to there's just no context for it. It comes out of nowhere. And plus and it's problematic. She's Romulan. She could kick his ass anyway. Yeah, exactly. There's really not a lot of like establishing like how the Remans are like physical strength compared to the Romulans. Like we know that like Vulcans, Romulans, Klingons are all 
incredibly more strong than human beings, but we don't know how the Remans are. Like, they don't establish that. And I just feel, and not that he's a Reman, he's a human. She could absolutely kick his ass because she is physically stronger than him. And it doesn't even matter that he's sick and we don't know that yet. Right, right. part of the reason why he probably wouldn't want to have anything to do with anybody anyway and doesn't want anybody touching him because he's weak and frail and doesn't want anybody to touch mm-hmm. him. Yeah. No, for sure. And and we do get a hint of that, of course, at the end of the scene where she leaves and he kind of doubles over in pain. And, you know, she's like, hmm, wonder what that's about. And, um, of and course, we don't. Most know. conveniently see-through dolls. Yes, very convenient. I agree. There's a lot of convenient things in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we get a quick little scene here where B4 is kind of hanging out in Data's quarters. He's petting Spot. And then suddenly, you know, something uh, clicks in him like a switch flips. He stands up and he walks over to the computer and he starts, you know, clickety-clacking away. And he's hacked into the computer. Obviously, we don't know what's going on yet. Here's another MacGuffin to the story, but he's probably not up to anything good here. Then we get this kind of extended scene, which I actually like this scene a whole lot. I think it's one of the better scenes in the whole movie for me, where Shinzon and Picard are having dinner. It's just the two of them. He does tell Picard how he came to be, that basically... Uh, at some point, the Romulans got a hold of some of Picard's DNA. They made a clone of him. They were going to grow him until he was the same age as Picard. And then they were going to replace Picard with this clone of a, as a Romulan agent in the heart of the Federation. But apparently, a new government comes in and they cancel that plan and... They say, oh, we can't have this clone running around, uh, so let's go stick him on Remus, where he'll probably die in the dilithium mines. Does anybody else think of this as, like, when the bad guy, like, expouts his plan to the oh, guy in a movie? We'll get lots of that, too, yeah. coming up, but it's definitely... His plan. Like, he's telling the bad Romulan guy's plans. And then later he's going to explain his off Anyway. Also, I don't understand. Why wouldn't they just have killed him? Like, yeah. that, that seems ridiculous. Like, oh, we made this clone, but we're not going to use it. I'll just use my disruptor and kill it. Like, problem solved. I don't know why they put him in the dilithium mines. It doesn't, but whatever. That's because the plot says that that's what happened. So just go we, with it. Yeah, exactly, right? And then basically, you know, they thought he'd die there. He doesn't die, obviously. He talks about how the the man who would become his viceroy basically took him in, befriended him, cared for him. We do get kind of a weird slow-motion flashback here. Uh, the use of slow-mo in this movie is very questionable to me, but he says that his uh, motivation is always to free all Remans. Like, that's the only thing on his mind. And I do like that he asks Picard questions about the Picard family. Like, he wants to know who he is. He wants to know about the blood that runs through his veins. You tell me more about our family. Are we explorers? Do we worry a lot? And, And Picard gives him a little bit of backstory that he was the first Picard to leave the solar system. 
uh, he dreamed about, you know, leaving uh, the planet and flying in the stars as a young boy, as did Shinzon. And we kind of have a moment of, like, these two men just having a really great relationship, like, almost understanding each other. If it wasn't for this big, you know, I don't really trust you point here. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I like this scene for the most part. And, you know, whenever Picard is saying how he looked up at the stars as a as a child, you know, or whatever. And, it one, it made me flash back to the episode Family. <laughs> and I'm giggling because my dog has a squeaky toy now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you can hear that. <laughs> um so pardon pardon the interruption you know how his he had talked about it then and his nephew was staring off to the stars at the end and then but as he's explaining it then you know tom hardy what's his name shit Shinzon. yeah i wrote th for tom hardy in my notes instead of his <laughs> actual name uh in there um and then he you know kind of finishes his sentence because he had that same sort of feeling and it's like oh they are kind of the same but they are also different. And also, like, Picard is like, you know, how many Romulans had to die for, for this? And his answer is too many, which is a very sort of more Picardy kind of thing, where he would be like, you know, too mm -hmm. many people had to die for this, you know, kind of thing. Um, like, I was surprised that he said too many. I thought he would just be like, there should be more, <laughs> you know, because he hates them so much. Yeah. No, there's... Oh, go ahead, Faye. I'm sorry. Sorry, Becca. I think this is probably one of the scenes that makes this film so problematic for me because I really like this scene. Mm -hmm. It's one of those bits, one of the bits of the film where you go, actually, it's touching on some really good ideas and some stuff that they could, like, all the duality of self stuff they could have done and all the um, pining that Picard has had for missing out and having a family of his own and everything they could have touched on with that, they sort of start planting the seeds of it here and then never do anything with it. Mm. And I think that's my biggest problem with this film is that they, they keep picking stuff up, playing with it a little bit, putting it back down. And picking something else up, playing with it a little bit, putting it back down. Mm. That's um, you know, that's a really, really good point. And you're right. There are a lot of good ideas in this movie. Like one of the main sort of topics in this film is the idea of nature versus nurture of, you know, how, how much, excuse me, how much of our personality is predetermined by our DNA and how much of it is affected by our, our upbringing, right? Because Picard is saying, and, and we see this later on in the film too, where he says, I could, you know, there's no way a clone of me could destroy an entire planet. There's just no way. And you've got Shinzon coming back and saying, yeah, but you didn't grow up the way I did. And you don't know what you would be capable of until you do have that experience. And so it's a great theme. It's a great idea, but it's not followed through terribly well. I feel like we, we end up back on like a Star Wars topic of, you know, reject your evil side and just turn to the light side and, 
you know, use the force, Luke, and don't become a Sith warrior. Like, no, no, no. I, I use the force, John Luke. Oh, they, oh, thank you. Use the force, John Luke. Like, I kind of feel like those are the moments that this film becomes a Star Wars movie of, you know, this is your destiny and all that. And it's a good idea. Like, it's a good story. But I think the execution is, as you say, Faye, it, it, it definitely is problematic. Um, I think Steven had to step away for a minute. He did kind of give us the heads up that that might happen. So, oh, you are here. Okay, good, good, good. We're we're just talking a little bit about uh, the theme of the film of nature versus nurture. I don't know if you had any thoughts you wanted to add into our discussion. Yeah, I mean, you know that that's that scene that we were discussing. Obviously, in my opinion, is the best scene in the movie, and mm. and it, it it's a callback to to a, you know a next generation episode. You know, like not a particular one, just like the theme and the way they did next generation episodes. It's exactly a sit down. Uh, a, a mutual understanding and, and a little sizing up of the enemy and understanding from both sides, which is really cool and really important. I think that the next generation did that better than anything. So this particular scene definitely seemed to be true to, to next generation. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think we all agree that we do like the scene. Um, and I think for sure, I think, uh, could this theme have been carried out a little bit better in this movie? I think it could have been done a little bit better. But I, I do agree. For me, Steve, I think this is probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. I really enjoy watching not, not just the themes being expounded here, but I enjoy watching Tom Hardy act against Sir Patrick Stewart. Like, I enjoy watching these two actors really work together in this scene and just, yeah, it's it's a it's a really good scene and it's done by two good actors. Very good actors. Uh, Picard basically tells Shinzon, look, I totally want to be friends with you, but you haven't earned that yet, and you have to do that. So um, Picard goes back to the Enterprise, and Jordy tells Picard that there is this uh, radiation coming from the ship. It's called Thaleron radiation. Another brand new thing that we've never heard of in Star Trek. It, this basically I mean, is a radiation. Been, it's been a few years since the last episode, so maybe there have been new technologies that they don't feel like expounding on. True. <laughs> true enough. True enough. And you know, and they just found out about the remits. <laughs> I know. Who knows what else we'll find? You out know, about. Uh, you guys, you guys joking a lot about like new themes in, in, in a movie, but I really think that whether it's executed properly in this movie or not, it is important to bring up oh. some new things yeah. in theatrical. I mean, because like you know, Insurrection, for example. I know people love that movie. I, I'm, I'm, it's my least favorite of, of 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 the four. I thought it was too small screen. You know what I mean? It, it seemed like an expanded Next Generation episode, a good one, but it, it for me it wasn't major motion picture movie. And 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 I think that this movie was trying to expand on the world. You know, mm-hmm. being so far removed from the last one was it five or six years? Wasn't it uh, ninety? Was it? Well, ninety eight was the last one before this, right? I, um, I believe. Yeah. So it's 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 six years between Insurrection and oh, uh, okay. Nemesis. So yeah, yeah ninety six then. Yeah, exactly. So I I think that you know while while having callbacks to the original series is super important for fan service. I think it's also important to think franchise and studio-wise, it's important to, to add new things in case this was a blockbuster hit and then they expanded on it. So I, I definitely 
feel like looking back on it now, we're looking at the last hour and 45 minutes of next generation that we're ever going to see. And we want to know why all these new things are being introduced. Well, Mm -hmm. put it in the context of a movie that's being filmed, not thinking this was the last thing that they're ever going to see. So that's right. my, my two cents on that. My defense, once again, for for this movie. I was just going to say, I like Doctor Who, and sometimes there's new things that are introduced to Doctor Who, and the fandom gets a little mad, which is ridiculous. Um, but, you know, I'd still, I'd still complain about it if I didn't think that it was put in a good way. I just feel like it's just kind of thrown out there. It's like hand wave. Oh, yeah, that's it's this instead of, you know... Mm-hmm. Well, in my defense, I mean, not in my defense, once again, in the defense of this movie, uh, I do believe uh, Thilaron radiation is going to be present in the Picard series. Okay. So, uh, do, do you have a, so do you feel that way because it was introduced here, or? No, uh, I feel that way, uh, well, if we want to get into it. Yeah, of course, um, go ahead. So, I don't. I haven't read any of the graphic novels whatsoever, which is a shame. Uh, but I'm kind of illiterate, so I, I if it, unless, unless it's like on tape, or I'm, that's how old I am. Books on tape. Unless it's an <laughs> audio book, I usually don't get in there. But there is a novel series, a three-parter called Star Trek Destiny. I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with it, but what it basically is is the three like. Characters from all three franchises, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and uh, and Voyager are battling the Borg, which is like for the final time. Mm-hmm. And Seven of Nine comes up with a way to beat the Borg, and it's to develop this Elleron radiation weapon. There's like a scene where um, Picard actually go asks Geordi to go ahead and make this weapon. To, to, to finish the Borg once and for all. And Jordy refuses because he thinks that Data's sacrifice would have been for nothing because Data's the one that destroyed it. And I, I really see that being maybe some overarching theme because I, I, maybe I'm totally wrong here and I haven't done much reading on the Picard series, but I think that even though a lot of the things are pointing towards Romulans – uh, because I do believe that the Romulans are an arc that really was never really completed. Uh, so it would be smart to build on that theme. But I also think that it's a disservice to the fans to not include like some Borg. Not not just – because you know, obviously Hugh is in this one and, 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 and Seven of Nine. So I, I think that the big bad in some way will be the Borg. And I, and I see that them playing on this – this Star Trek Destiny, drawing some things from it might actually be part of part of the actual series. That's just a theory. Okay. I listen, we are open to all fan theories here because I think that's part of the fun. I think that's part of the fun of theorizing about what's gonna happen is how they may work in stuff from the expanded universe. And certainly, you know, the graphic novels, the comics, they are all canon. They are certainly Star Trek canon. So yeah, I, I like your theory. I'm not going to lie. I think that's a really interesting way to kind of bring that back. And, you know, just j- just for the record, like, I have no problem with Star Trek introducing new new stuff in movies. Like, that doesn't bother me at all because there's always, I mean, what, they boldly go where no one's gone before. You're going to find new stuff all the time. Um, I just feel like to introduce the Remans as such a huge part of this movie yeah. and then – 
I feel like then you're introducing Thaleron and, and you're introducing B4. Like you're introducing a lot of new stuff in one movie. It's, it's ambitious. And it's, for me, I, it, it didn't really work for me like it worked for you. And that it just means that we approach this movie differently. Well, I definitely, uh, I, I actually don't really defend how it worked out. I'm just kind of defending the mindset of the studio and the writer and the director of why to do this. I don't think it worked out. I really don't. Uh, I think that they, if this was the last movie, they could have spent their time focusing on, on just the Romulans and it would have been fine or you know anything for that matter. But I, I definitely don't think it worked out. I just know that thinking about throwing a bunch of new stuff into a movie, you know, 13, 14 what is it now? I guess 17 years later after this movie, it seems obvious not to do that. But at the time I can see what they were going for and what they tried to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think, you know, again, very ambitious, but execution, you know, that's, I think up to the viewer, how well it, it went, but, um, uh, okay. Uh, basically, we find out about this Thaleron radiation that research on it was banned in the Federation because this stuff will consume you at the subatomic level within minutes, which, I, you know, we saw that at the beginning of this movie. Uh, we saw the entire Romulan Senate be consumed. Now Picard really doesn't trust uh, Shinzon because of this part of it, and... Jordy also tells Picard that, you know, they were hacked, but nothing classified was taken. And, uh, but Picard's like, yeah, but we should probably still figure out, like, what happened. And that's very smart. And they are going to investigate, of course. So now, you know, the Viceroy is telling Shinzon, hey, stop wasting time. We got to do stuff. And we got Picard looking through old pictures of himself at the Academy. We do get a nice little picture of Tom Hardy. In a Starfleet uh, Academy uniform, old school, I guess meant to be Picard as a young man. And um, he finds out. Or, I have a mm-hmm. question. When do we think that Picard was su- supposedly lost all his hair? Because there was an episode with Q in it, and, you know, he lets him go back and redo things, and he has hair. And it's like, maybe. Maybe when he got his artificial heart, he lost all his hair. <laughs> that's how I'm like. That's how I'm like fitting that in, so that Tom Hardy, bald Tom Hardy, works as young Captain Picard. <laughs> I mean, maybe that is when he lost his hair when his he had his artificial heart. It's a possibility. <laughs> oh gosh, sorry, I lost my spot. So, um, Data and Jordy tell Picard they figured out where the breach came from and. They have a plan to use this to their advantage. Um, so now we come to um, uh, another troubling scene. And uh, so we have Troy and Riker. They're getting ready for bed. This is supposed to be their honeymoon. You know, uh, that didn't really work out. They start, you know, having some sexy times in bed. And then we get this scene where basically Deanna is violated. The idea, I think, it's and it's very sort of, it's very shocking because she's literally in the middle of having sex with her husband, and then he he changes into Tom Hardy. He changes into Shinzon, and um, he's talking to her like as if he knows her, and then he becomes the viceroy, and she's 
obviously upset. She's saying no. And um, so, we're, I mean, we, we are watching this happen. She gets mind raped by two people at the same time, which is quite troubling and upsetting as a plot point. And what, this is the second time we had to see her go through this. Yes, they had a whole TNG episode where they did the same thing to her. Exact same and thing. It is like the se- only the second time or whatever, but it feels like it's happened so much to her. <laughs> you know, like it just feels like it happened like the only time there was ever any kind of plot involving Troy. It was because someone is violating her in her mind. <laughs> like, yeah. no, stop it. I know that's yeah. not right, but it's just because it's like, it's so, uh, it's not graphic, but it's like, what, I can't, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but it's But it, it, it's very jar, it's jarring. jarring. It's very, and it is very intense because, I mean, besides the fact that they've, you know, invaded her mind, she believes that, I mean, not to get too graphic, but she's in the middle of having sex with her husband, right? We can imagine he might even be inside of her. And now she thinks it's a different person inside of her. So besides being mentally violated, she feels physically violated as if, as if somebody forced themselves physically on her. So it, it is quite jarring to watch this scene. Yeah. And again, like, uh, I mean, do I want to see movies where the plot, where the plot involves, a plot, a major plot point is a, a woman getting raped, and then she can somehow use that later on to save the day. Not really, but here we are with this movie, and uh, yeah. So then, you know, she, um, we, we, we see that it's it's the viceroy. He's using uh, telepathic skills to project Shinzon into her mind. Certainly, the Romulans and the Vulcans do share telepathic abilities, just like Betazoids do. She, um, they lose the connection, but of course, we find out not for long. In sickbay, Deanne is getting checked out by the doctor. She says that she was mentally violated. She tells the captain that she wants to be relieved of duties. And he's like, nah, you got to keep working because I need you to work. And I didn't really care for that either. Very much. I mean, she's a victim of an assault. And but it's she not would... even like just, oh, yeah, I need you to go back to your job. It's I need you to stay linked with this guy because we might need it later. Like, it's even worse than just yeah. get it's, back to uh, it's, it's very upsetting. It's, like, it's uh, not Yeah, good. sometimes I care about your feelings, but right now I don't. We need to get this done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I did not care for that as a plot point either, that she has to stay connected to this. Basically, she has to stay in contact with her rapist so that she can save the ship. Did not care for that at all. (laughs) And she doesn't even get to be the one that completely saves the day either. No, no, because women can't do that, silly bunny. Anyway, uh... So mid-sentence of Picard not being cool, uh, he gets beamed away, and uh, Riker's like, raise the shields, Mr. Worf. Um, So Shinzon has kidnapped Captain Picard. Um, He tells us that B4 was left as bait for them to pick up. I I feel like this is a little bit where the 
the plot begins to unravel a little bit because there's a lot of questions. How did they find before? Where did they find him? How did they know enough about cybernetics to alter him and <laughs> and then leave him on this random planet to be found? I feel like there's a big plot hole here or Listen, a lot of these unanswered questions. They built a gigantic, crazy ship full of all kinds of technology in secret they can find an android and spruce him up oh <laughs> yeah i mean that that's exactly right except for the fact that all you have to do is shift that here's what the plot unravels to the very first scene where we see that ship and see how advanced it is over anything we've seen before and where did that come from you know, th this was allowed yeah. to be built and researched and developed right in the nose of, of, of Romulus. And like, it was so no. big. How could he have a secret base that was that big? It was cloaked. Oh, <laughs> I know. Your the facility was cloaking. cloaked. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That answers a lot of questions in the Star it Trek. Does. Universe. It, was it does. Cloaking. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Faye, did you have any thoughts here to jump in on on, on what I we're talking about? I actually think it starts to unravel just under the, well, yeah, like right at the beginning, but <laughs> at, the, at the point where, oh, as far as we are aware, Shinzon doesn't actually know that they're on to him yet. So why does he start to suddenly put into place things like attacking Diana? There is absolutely no need for him to do that apart from it being a plot point mm -hmm. well he also thinks she's hot remember yeah she has nice hair he has hair jealousy he can get a wig <laughs> yeah I, I just think that was a flex of his power obviously it was conveniently placed for the plot of the movie but his you know his his drive and his reason for that had nothing to do with the, the greater battle it was just completely selfish i would sort of more understand it if it was just motivated by the voice viceroy and not by shinzon at all like the the shinzon being involved in it at all makes no sense to me mm -hmm. like it doesn't it doesn't go towards his motivations at all like well it, it goes towards like, one of his motivations well, that just it, not has anything to do with the movie whatsoever in the in the in terms of editing if they if they you know the bit where B4 suddenly starts hacking into the computer? If they put that after Shinzon and Picard having dinner and had that as Deanna's violation being the distraction for B4 being able to hack the computer, that would make more sense to me. Mm. Yeah, you're, yeah, it's it's two completely separate incidents. Random incidents. They're, they're not connected. Like It's not like one thing is a is a, a decoy or a, a distraction for the other. Um, I, I think, I honestly think it just, I think we're just supposed to think that he's just so creepy and gross that he just wants to violate this woman. Like We're also supposed to think he's like Picard. Are we supposed to think that Picard's have the potential to be this creepy and gross? Like, yeah. It's, oh, it's so problematic. And It is, yeah. And the... <laughs> the um, oh, where was my brain going? Um, there is a bit earlier on when they're talking about the Remans, and they sort of talk about them as if they were like cannon fodder. They were the the, the inventory that went in first. 
Right. So they shouldn't have separate technology and any technology that they have should be Romulan based. Yes, absolutely. So why are they why is it so different? I don't understand why it's so different. I also don't understand why the he's basically dressed like a potato in tinfoil. Why is he not <laughs> dressed like like infantry? Nobody's dressed like this race that's supposed to be bred for dilithium mines and being sent out first. Yeah. There, there's a lot about the Remans here that does not add up. And perhaps I I was giving this movie more credit up till now to say that it's now that the plot begins to devolve. <laughs> when actually it seems to have devolved from the very beginning. Um, but you're, you're right. There are a lot of things here that just don't seem to add up. Even like later on when um, they're in a, a space battle and, Shinzon tricks one of the Romulan warbirds by, he says, oh, deactivate our aft cloak only. I had no clue they could do that. Like, that's a new thing. Like, usually it's just you cloak your whole ship or you cloak none of the ship. I didn't know that this had separate parts that could cloak and decloak. And Rebecca, um, you, you know new. nothing about the 24th century. I'm sorry. Clearly, I have. I am an idiot. I am before. I don't know anything about anything. <laughs> Come on, get with the future. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Plug their brain into my brain and give me some input to like help me get better i don't that, know what's going that's on. actually one of the 20 things in that article that that they got right in star trek <laughs> that now exists <laughs> you can you can decloak decloak certain parts of your ship now no. so, i'm getting I that you meant plugging right up now. two people's brains <laughs> I was gonna say, Rebecca, I'll bring my USB port. Oh, good! Just you just plug into my the back of my head and just let me, you know, download all that stuff. Uh, very confusing, but somehow the Remans found before knew what he was, um, and left him as a clue and to draw the Enterprise in. It's way and of too course, much of a long con for oh, it to seem so, like, sudden. A very long con to get... And the whole thing was that they basically had him hacking into the computer to download, like, star charts and stuff to find out where the fleet was. Which, again, if you can cloak yourself and you have zero emissions, no way to track you, why do you need to know where the fleet is? You could just sneak past everybody... And get straight to Earth, decloak above Europe, and pa-pow! You destroy Earth. Like, oh, I, I mean, it it's, uh, doesn't seem to make a lot of sense again, but here we go. There's a little bit more talk here about how these two men are mirrors for each other of what each one could be if given the opportunity or given the right circumstances. Uh, but that he, Shinzon says that they will not bow to the Federation. Back on the scimitar, B4 is actually Data. Data has snuck on board, pretending to be uh, B4. He frees Picard, tells him this whole ship is a Theleron generator. It'll basically, it, it's one giant weapon. They can't let Shinzon use it, obviously, because it's an incredibly dangerous weapon. Um, there is a quick scene here where the Viceroy tells Shinzon that it's time to start the procedure. And I wrote, I hope it involves fixing Tom Hardy's teeth. 
Damn, that's brutal. <laughs> Did you, I'm so glad you noticed it too. Like, I mean, you kind of said something. Kind of hard to put it not in your to. Oh, thank you. Did you notice though that suddenly he seems to have developed a full set of top teeth at this point? <laughs> yes, it's halfway like, through. And just... I've never, never been so annoyed by something in my life. <laughs> it's like, uh, like, it's like, like Will Ferrell. Film was watch his top, the top half of his mouth, waiting for them to fall out. Well, like Will Ferrell is like that. Like you see his bottom teeth all the time, and then when I see his top teeth, I'm like, ah, oh, what happened? <laughs> great. So that's like, I'm like, I'm not used to that. <laughs> okay, so we've got Picard and Data moving through the Romulan ship. They're looking for an escape route. Shinzon discovers that Picard has escaped. Uh, orders the guard that was watching him to be killed. Um, we get like a, a firefight in the corridor where Picard's holding the Remans at bay. Data's trying to crack the, the access code into the shuttle bay. Um, they get into the shuttle bay, but they cannot get out because there's a force field around the exit. So Picard says, well, guess what? I guess we'll take the ship. Well, I guess we'll take the shuttle through the ship, uh, which they do, uh, and out a window, and uh, which apparently I guess there's no shields up, okay? And uh, out a window, and the Enterprise beams them on board. We are back at the Romulan Senate, and everybody is still whining about how nothing is happening. And Shinzon's like, in just two days, the Federation will be crippled. And they're like... Okay, but what's wrong with your face? And um, <laughs> so uh, you got a little something you know, right there. I, I, you look a little sick. I don't know what that is. So we kind of hear we get the first glimpse of Commander Donata kind of having a flip flop here, where she tells the other commander that like, hey, this guy, he's pretty crazy, and I think he's going to kill a lot of people, and Maybe we shouldn't be behind him on this. And uh, she kind of is like... I know I totally want to, like, offer sex to him so that I can (laughs) stay alive, but he's, like, totally the worst. Right? (laughs) He is, like, literally the worst. The worst. Capital (laughs) worst. I'm surprised somebody on the set or one of the actors or whatever didn't use the line, hell has no fury like a woman scorn. Oh, yeah. It's the only thing missing from this movie. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and oh, whoever, it, it whoever really whoever is. would have written that would have thought that they made it up. No problem. <laughs> too. Uh, I mean, she and, and she does bring out the point that she's like, you know, our children are going to pay for his sins. Like, all this blood will be on our hands. And maybe we shouldn't be doing this. So... <laughs> But that's also a problem. I mean, a Romulan senator talking, like having a conscience about war. I mean, that I, I do. I, okay, so once again, I think that the tie. This is so Picard series is twenty years after this movie, right? Like that's what we know as far as as, as the series is concerned. In some deleted scene, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to like just go off on a tangent here. So stop me if if it, in one of the deleted scenes. Actually, Riker actually gets to say goodbye to Picard, you know, as he's leaving the ship, not just turns around and walks away. But you know, he talks about how the Titan uh, is actually, actually, I think they left it, that in the movie. The Titan is on the way to, to to the neutral zone to discuss talks, right? Right. And 
I think that in this future, in, in, in the Picard series, that the Romulans and the Terran uh, Federation are going to start making you know men's obviously that they, they might be in the middle of some kind of like really loose treaty like there is with the Cardassians, but I, I I think that that her character even though she realizes she made a mistake and by trusting this guy I, I think that her character has progressed way too quickly in this short amount of time to like be such a like a buddy old pal. You know, like if she's going to show up in that battle scene, which obviously we're going to talk about, I'm like, oh, make it a Romulan ale, Captain. Ha ha. Like, n- no, maybe show up and be like, hey, stay out of her way. We're going to take care of our own mess. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, okay, and and like that's cool because then you can say, okay, she has a little bit of a conscience, but she's still an asshole because she's a Romulan. Right. 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 But 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 what she, what she does show up and, and the progression that she makes going forward, it, it's just so. It's too much. Well, again, too, I think it speaks to the lack of character development for her. Like we don't, we don't, we know nothing about her other than she's okay with Shinzong killing the Senate. She wants to offer him sex, and now she turns against him and wants to chill with the Federation. Like there's nothing. I, I don't know anything about her character other than what this movie tells me. And so it, it doesn't – nothing she does I, – I don't understand any of her motivation, like, other than this one speech where she gives about, like, our children will have to pay for the sins of this man. It's like, oh, so you feel this way about it? But you didn't before when you were like, I'll trade you sex for favors. Like, I, I don't – yeah, it, very strange. It's not uh, – no development, unfortunately, of this character. Anyway, uh, so we find out that Shinzon was created or cloned using temporal RNA sequencing. And if I've said it once, I've said it a million times, never use temporal RNA sequencing. Oh, I mean, if, if I had a nickel <laughs> every time I've said that. I mean, uh, you have gotten some nickels from that, I think. You know, like, you don't have a regular job. You just live off your. I your live off the that, nickels. Right? Yeah. I live off the nickels I get from every time I say never use temporal RNA sequencing. <laughs> That's how often I say it. Um, <laughs> which, you know, he was supposed to be. Basically, he was supposed to skip 30 years to age him up very quickly. That did not happen. They let him develop naturally, and now he's dying because um, of reasons. And uh, the only thing that will save him is a complete transfusion from Picard. So that's not going to happen. So there's really no hope for this guy, apparently. Um, and Picard, you know, he he's definitely like, oh, boy, like that's uh, like – Obviously, he doesn't want, like, Shinzon to die for nothing. You know, he'd like him to somehow be able to come out of this experience, maybe uh, somehow salvage something, but um, that's not going to happen. We see Data basically having a quick conversation with B4, tells him, I've got to turn you off because you're too dangerous. He shuts him down indefinitely, and, you know, you can see Data's kind of, you know, sad about it because, you know, Lore is was his brother and he wasn't a very good brother. His father is dead and this is like his only, you know, quote unquote relative. And he's uh, useless and he's too dangerous to basically 
be kept alive. And so he's not dangerous, though. He's I just no. He's, he's just not used to this. Song. He he keeps a seat filled. <laughs> he <laughs> just took a few glasses of water and maybe a Gatorade. He'd be okay again. Like <laughs> he just needs a Snickers. <laughs> it's oh, like he my... eats a Snickers and all of a sudden he's just like dead. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we do find out a little bit more about this weapon. Jordy says that uh, the weapon is a cascading biogenic pulse. It could encompass a ship or even a planet. So it's like basically almost like a Galactus if you're a Marvel comic reader, I guess. Uh, it, it can devour a whole planet even. And uh, it would cripple the Federation. The Romulans would take over. That's pretty much the plan here for as far as Shinzon's concerned. And they still have no way to penetrate his cloak. But the Enterprise will rendezvous with the rest of the fleet. Uh, we see them getting ready for battle. Everyone's getting a phaser rifle. People are pressing buttons. Uh, things are happening on the Enterprise as they get ready for battle. So then we do get a pretty important scene here. Uh, Data and Picard are in stellar cartography. And they have kind of a, again, back to the theme of like nature versus nurture. They're, they're talking about how B4 and Shinzon are basically like versions of themselves. But they could be different if given the opportunity or are they actually the same? Like that's kind of the question that Picard poses. And I actually do enjoy this conversation too. I think it's, I think it's one of the better parts of the movie as well. Like when they kind of come back to this theme of nature versus nurture and data and Picard kind of, kind of grappling with this idea of can our copies be, you know, more than the sum of their parts. Uh, and then Picard drops this quote here, which I had to look up because I didn't know where it was from. Um, he says, for now we see, but through a glass darkly, which is actually a quote from the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, uh, which does kind of talk about, uh, again, this whole idea of seeing yourself in kind of an odd way. Uh, what else here? So then finally, uh, they get to the Basin Rift, which is where they're headed. But it cuts off all long-range communication. Uh, they Picard realizes this is an ambush. And before they can really start doing um, uh, any evasive maneuvers, they are fired on by the scimitar. And we're back. That was a good break. All right. So when last we left our intrepid crew, uh, they were being fired on by the scimitar, uh, who they can fire with while they're cloaked, which usually most cloaking devices do not let you do that. You have to decloak. So that's brand new technology for these guys here. Oh, no. Introducing something new. Oh, no. Actually, oh. I take it back. This is not introducing something new because in Star Trek VI Undiscovered Country, the Klingons had a ship that could do it. Whoa. They could fire while they were cloaked. I forgot about facts. Um, (laughs) Great movie. Great movie. I mean, the last of the original series cast movies and what a way to go out. I mean, you had this really awesome... That's a whole other podcast. Stay on track, Rebecca. Okay, so... (laughs) The scimitar uh, does not want to destroy the Enterprise because they still need Picard alive because they need to do apparently a whole 
blood transfusion, like to empty him completely. So uh, they're targeting Enterprise weapons and shields. Enterprise loses their warp engines, and uh, they are basically shooting blind with their phasers, trying to hit uh, the scimitar. But of course, they can't find them with the cloak on. We get this like extended space battle. There's lots of firing back and forth. And um, Shinzon hails the Enterprise, tells Picard, meet me in your ready room. And everyone's like, hmm, what's this about? And Shinzon is a hologram. Uh, he tells Picard that he should surrender. And that he only wants him, not his ship. And, you know, Picard again tries to reason with him. We kind of get this whole, you know, here we go again with the Star Wars use the force business. Because it's like, you know, you know, uh, search your feelings. You know you can't do this. You turn away from the dark side and come to the light. And it's a bit of a Star Trek moment trying to get him to come over to be a Jedi and not a Sith. And um, he's telling Shinzon, like... You know, it's not too late to change. We're both made of the same raw materials. You could be more than what you are. And Shinzon is like, not too late to change. I'm going to keep being evil. And uh, he leaves. <laughs> uh, so this is when we get two Romulan warbirds arrive. Um, and they are here to help the Enterprise. They are not here to help Shinzon. More space battles. More shooting each other up. Thank you for correcting my bad spelling, whoever did that in the notes. I appreciate it. One of the warbirds gets pretty badly damaged. Um, this is where we get the scene where um, Shinzon, uh, they can disable one part of their cloak. Uh, he kind of plays dead in the water. And when the other warbird flies over to fire, uh, they attack it and basically disable it. And they are dead in the water. So, I mean, what, what did you guys think of all the space battle stuff? All the shooting, all the pew, 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 pew. Did it work for you? Like, did you enjoy it? I mean, I liked it. You know, I liked it. It might be simplistic, but I think that this is where this director was hired. You know, this guy that does, that directed, you know, you know, or edited Die Hard and Lethal Weapon 2 and these big production, like, you know, fight mm -hmm. movies or whatever, and I, I enjoyed this space battle. I thought that the the weaponry and and the and the the pew pew looked really good. <laughs> I, I, despite what you said about only disabling like part of the cloak, I thought it was a really good move, mm -hmm. uh, and I really enjoyed that the flyover scene where you know he's destroying the underbelly of, of of that ship. I thought visually it looked actually looked very well, very well done for 2002 in my opinion. Can I put the pew pew looked really good on a t-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> That's like the best best quote I of the did day. I did enjoy that quote. The pew pew looked really good. I think that is that is brilliant. I mean, I it's a universal that. term. Everybody knows what pew pew is. Right? right? Pew pew pew. Oh, it must be a space battle with there we lasers. Go. There right? we go. Of course it is. See, you knew what I was talking about. Even if you hadn't seen the movie, you knew what I was talking about. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the Enterprise is like on fire everywhere and it, it, everything's falling apart. And then Deanna says that she has a way to find the scimitar. Good thing that she was mentally raped because now she can find her rapist. That's great. She uh, she can sense his presence so um, uh, exactly that she can pinpoint the exact coordinates where they are because apparently she can do that now. And she helps War figure out where they are. And 
Worf fires uh, their phasers and or the photon torpedoes and uh, right at the scimitar. But again, this is one of those things where like the writers never knew what to do with Deanna Troy. Like they gave her this ability to be empathic. And then they, the problem is if you let her use it all the time, your episode is over in 10 minutes because you know, it's like, hmm, I wonder if this alien species is lying. And then Deanna Troy's like, yep, they're totally lying. All right, let's get out of here. Episode over. Like, uh, uh, so they would give her different powers depending on what they needed her to do in the episode. In this movie, she can pinpoint exactly where a ship is in space, which I don't think she ever really did that before. But, I mean, Hellboy Viceroy was like, (laughs) we're connected now, or whatever. Yeah, Yeah, he was. You know, that's, that's the... I think that's the sort of explanation for why she can find them now. And it's it's a very big ship, so I mean they can even even <laughs> if it's a general area, it's probably going to hit the ship in some form. Good yeah, point. I didn't realize until like this end when they're right next to each other how big it was because they just kept showing it and it was far away. You know what I mean? So I just thought it was yeah. a smaller ship, but it was. Yeah, it was quite a bit. You bigger. see it the first time they when they encounter it, they do this wide outside shot where I really like the line that Picard delivers. That we didn't get to talk about that. I mean, it's a pretty nonsense line, but he said she's a predator, and I I really like that scene because it's just there was like admiration, you know, by Picard for for the size of this ship and and its capability, and I thought that was that was really cool for everybody else is like all worried about this ship, but Carter's like stepping forward into the view screen saying she's a predator, like excited about it. I thought that was cool. Oh yeah. I think for sure. Picard respects the firepower for sure, but he respects the, um, what it took to build this ship. Like he, he, yeah, you're right. When he says that she's a predator, it is with a lot of like respect and like admiration for this, for the ship. So, um, more space battles, more things exploding on the bridge. Pew-pews! Pew-pew everywhere! And then, uh, basically, uh, the Remans board the Enterprise. Um, this is an effort to physically get Picard and bring him over so they could do the, this, this procedure. Worf and Riker, they grab a security team. We get another sort of, like, uh, corridor battle here where they're trying to, you know, kill each other. I do like this line that Worf tells Riker that the Romulans fought with honor. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like, for Trek fans, we know how the Klingons and the Romulans, like, absolutely hate each other. And the Klingons would be the first to say, you know, the Romulans have no honor. But uh, for Worf to say that felt that the Romulans did fight with honor. That's like a big thing, you know, and and even Riker's like, yeah, they they sure did. The Viceroy pulls a Luke Skywalker and he dives down this chute in the hallway of the Enterprise to what looks like the basement of the ship and they are fighting in like hand-to-hand combat on these metal catwalk which don't get me wrong is cool i do always enjoy when they take you like sort of into the bowels of the enterprise like when they show you parts of the ship that you like is not on the tour like no one would really ever see this part of the ship except people like who work there and i always do enjoy yeah this the scene of uh of Riker getting his revenge for violating his woman is 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 i i just it seemed like they forced that you know that it had to be like because didn't you think it was odd when picard said form a form a security detail or whatever and 
the next scene you see is Worf with a bunch of people and uh, Riker's there. I mean, he's not often part of that team, right? Yeah, it doesn't seem to make sense that he sends him at all. Other than to get back what he did to his wife, right? I mean, yeah. that's the only reason. Because it ends up being, you know, him that kills the Viceroy. Oh, it sort make, of. It would make more sense for, like, the hot-headed Riker that we're used to. For instead of Picard to send him, Riker make the decision that he's going. Once he realize who, realizes who it is, it is that's on the ship. But, but the appeal of that kind of scene is the actual dialogue of them discussing whether he's going or not and that we don't get that at all no and that's 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 no reason for that you know and we don't get any sort of verbal recognition between viceroy and riker as to why riker is the one to go after him there's no sort of this is for my wife punch they they say a third of the movie ended up on the cutting room floor, which they always say that when there's problems, and they say a lot of that was character development. And I, I think one half of that one third was Wesley Crusher being cut out. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I I, I feel like I get it. Like you know, Riker gets to be like the avenging husband. Yeah, but they like forced that. it though. No, I agree. Um, I we get a whole breach on the bridge. Uh, the helmsman, poor guy. Gets sucked out into space, and um, so he's gone. And before the force field can come up, uh, we get sort of back and forth uh, between the Viceroy and Riker, kind of playing hide and seek and fighting each other. Back to the space battles, and so we kind of come to a point where, like, the Enterprise seems to be out of options. Right? They have no more photon torpedoes. The phaser banks are not going to do anything against the shields of the scimitar. Shinzon kind of shows up here and just stares at Picard. And Picard's like, oh, this guy thinks that he knows what I'm going to do here. And he feels like this is his moment to kind of pull a rabbit out of his hat and do something that is unexpected. He tells Shinzon that back at the Academy, he was uh, uh, labeled overconfident. He um, he tells Deanna like via a text message, which I thought was kind of cool, that uh, he gives her these new coordinates, be ready to go at full impulse. And basically the Enterprise rams the scimitar to the point that they really almost interlock uh, here. What what did you guys think about this scene? Like the like Picard's choice to basically ram his ship into Shinzon's ship. I wrote down. Bumper starships. <laughs> um, also, him saying, him, him talking about himself when he was in in the academy. It's like, God, I would have had such a big crush on him. I always just always just pick the wrong guys <laughs> when I would have when I much much need a seasoned Picard in my life. I would just always would have gone for the reckless, overconfident asshole, not the sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, same, same. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I I think it's hogwash. Obviously, you know. I mean, it, but at the same time, I loved it. I sure. mean, it's a science fiction space show, and and you know, Picard's always this. Oh, you know, they know exactly what I'm gonna do. Like in Best of Both Worlds, you know, and they're like, well, we can't do anything that we were s- s- 
Jean-Luc knows what we're doing because he's part of the Borg Collective now. Well, this is the same situation. Shin Zong thinks that he knows everything that, that Jean-Luc's going to do, and he says, all right, well, I'm going to do something different, totally batshit crazy, and ram my ship into your ship and see how you like that. I enjoyed it. Like I said, I would imagine that both ships explode immediately, but uh, I enjoyed it for the for the movie. Yeah, I think if he had been going any faster, they probably would have exploded. Like like if he had been going, I don't know, warp one for sure, he would have. <laughs> you know, they boom, they would have just collided and exploded. But I think because he was going impulse power, it, it wasn't enough momentum to like blow up. If we're gonna like try to science this out, but like I think it was just enough to like cause like the the ships kind of interlock with each other. I thought it was cool. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a move that like Picard would not normally do. It definitely was very reckless compared to what he normally would do. Um, I think they set it up well in this film though, because they've set him up as like the guy who runs about on an ATV in the middle of nowhere and ha- quite happily tries to drive a ship he's never driven before, a, mog- a smaller ship on a bigger ship out of yeah. window. And this is sort of this weird, reckless speed demon version of Picard we've never really seen before but apparently it's a big part of him now but Mm -hmm. they set up for him to do this quite well I was kind of expecting more chicken than anything rather than the ramming but as a plot point it's quite good I do enjoy it and I do think it's interesting it's it's Shinzon who basically blinks Right, because the the Enterprise is headed right for him, and he gives the order to go hard to port. Like he's the one that blinks first, and I, I do think that that is quite interesting because I think like that's the more Picard thing to do. I, I think the the more Picard thing to do might be to back off or to avoid the conflict if possible, not to like ram your ship into the other guy's ship. Okay, obviously so- it's an important plot point because it, they needed it for later when Data space torpedoes to the other side yeah exactly yeah Yeah. who's trying to figure out who uh, of of what's his name's role in star trek me (laughs) yeah i don't know who kelly was either i I saw that earlier i don't know who brian singer played if it was the guy who um gets sucked out the window because it would have really satisfied me if it was (laughs) i know they if show only. that guy a lot. He's in a lot of scenes. I mean, like, you know, at, at the helm. He's in like six or seven scenes where they're showing him in the camera. I was, I was surprised. The guy they suck out. Yeah, which is why I thought it might be Brian Singer, but it's not. <laughs> I know. It would be so much more satisfying if it were Brian Singer. <laughs> Got shot into space. <laughs> yeah, so um, we, again, flip back to the Viceroy and Riker fighting, and uh, finally we come to a point where they're fighting on this catwalk. The catwalk breaks off, and the Viceroy falls to his death. He's gone. I guess Picard, uh, excuse me, Riker, gets his revenge uh, for his wife, but it would have been, I think, more satisfying for me if Deanna could have been the one to, you know, right. drive that yeah. final blow. Like, if she could have been the one, like, to, you know, drive the stake into his heart, that that, that would have been more satisfying but then we wouldn't have this beautiful five minutes of Jonathan Frakes doing some excellent Shatnering. <laughs> I know, oh, he's definitely Shatnering. It's just missing for him to rip his shirt. Like, that's the only thing that's missing <laughs> from this. So, Picard uh, tries to basically set the ship to auto-destruct, but that is also inoperative, so that's not I, an option. 
I've been re-watching Next Generation from the beginning all the way through. Picard goes to auto-destruct quite a lot. <laughs> I never realised this before. It does, actually. Every, every other episode in the first two seasons, he's been like, oh, well, auto-destruct. Yeah. But surprisingly, they only go through two ships. <laughs> True. Right? D and E, that's it, right? He had the Enterprise D for a long time yeah. and before he destroyed that one. And, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I was yeah. saying on our last episode, uh, this is not for the listeners, really, since they probably just listened to that. Uh, but I was, I was going through the seasons. I was just watching the ones that we were doing. But I started, I don't know, when I got to, like, somewhere at like so three or season three season four or something i started from like one spot and then just watched all the way forward i still have like six episodes left wait yes because i watched this again yesterday so i didn't add any more episodes to ones i've watched um of till the end but i need to go back and watch one and two so that's why i was like it's gotta be in the beginning where he does it all the time Yeah, it really is. And at the beginning, it's also, like, it has to be Picard and Riker that do it together a lot. So it's not just Picard goes, ah, (laughs) 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 Don't think I can rescue this mission. Also destruct. Yeah. (laughs) Somebody else has to keep him in check. Auto-destruct doesn't work. Shinzon is now super pissed at Picard, and it's not even about trying to prolong his life anymore. Shinzon's like, you know what? We're going to blow up the Enterprise and then go to Earth. I don't even care what happens to me. And then we get the longest, most ridiculous, boring charging seven minutes to charge up this weapon. You better hope that, like, no ships are firing at you and you in a place where you have seven minutes to charge up your stupid weapon. Um, yeah, but it's not supposed to be for ships, though, right? It's supposed to be for, like, worlds. I mean, I guess, although, I mean, I I guess that's the point like because it's it, it can be for worlds too i mean J- jordy says it could be for either you know you could a ship or a world but i mean you're right like if it's for a world i get it you have to charge it up there it just seems a little i don't know it just seems a little silly to me so yeah so they've got seven minutes here uh conveniently and so picard uh Grabs a phaser rifle, tells Jordy, beam me over there, uh, which he does. But then, of course, it blows out the transporters. And then we, we've kind of talked about this scene, these scenes a little bit. So we'll kind of just gloss over them a little bit here. But Picard does get aboard the scimitar. He's fighting his way through to the bridge. Uh, we do see Data launch himself uh, through space with no goodbye to anybody that he's going to go off and die yeah, just, on this. Just visit. a bro head nod to Jordy. Yeah, just a bro nod like, bro, bro. Yes. Bro. It's been real. Bro. <laughs> uh, well, I have so many like notes, not like a ton of notes, but I have a lot. Of yeah, notes go this. for it. Go so for it. whenever they go to Shinzon, <laughs> I can't ever remember what his name is. Whenever, you know, he... He wants to launch this biological weapon or whatever, and at one point, the, he's they're like the guy's like Matrix initiated, and that, and it just made me chuckle because he looks like he's out of the Matrix with this outfit on. <laughs> it's like you know, like it's a disco like pinhead, but also Matrix. Uh, so that made me laugh. But also, he goes, "Some ideals are worth dying for, aren't they, Jean Luc?" But it sounds like he says, some ideas are worth dying for. I uh, deja vu. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my what goodness. did you say? 
And so I had to read the the closed captioning to know what he said because his words, like, I'm like, you're such a good actor. Why are your words smushing together all of a sudden? Also, I liked earlier how uh, Steve said that um, Data, like, torpedoed himself over there, but I, I put that he flew like Peter Pan. <laughs> and also, when Picard goes, he goes to <laughs> F stuff up, is what I wrote. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. that's all my silly notes. They weren't of any importance, but I just wanted to oh, no, make you're... myself laugh. <laughs> no, no, no. Your notes are very important. I, I mean that. I, I'm glad you mentioned it, for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's a, yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of, like, stuff happening in these scenes of, like, quick cut scenes back and forth and back and forth. And, you know, and we also see, like, Shinzon is, like, visibly getting sicker by the moment. Like, he's, he's really deteriorating very fast here. And he's becoming more and more unhinged, like, every second that he's on this ship. Okay, so aboard the Scimitar, uh, Picard makes his way to the bridge. We do get a final fight scene between him and Shinzon. Shinzon has lots of knives. Like, I, he kept pulling out knives, and I'm like, you have so many. And um, he's trying to fight Picard. He's a Ginsu knife seller on the side. He is. But wait, what about these Ginsu knives? He's like, see how thinly this slices a tomato? <laughs> watch me slice through this tin can. And then like, Picard... Watch me slice through this Starfleet <laughs> officer's arm. That's hilarious. And then, like, there are these... I don't even know what they are. They look like wooden planks or spears. And Picard grabs one. He stabs Shinzon with it. Shinzon does that really creepy thing where he's impaled on the beam... And then he, like, pulls himself closer to Picard, <laughs> like, sliding his body now along the beam. And he's like, I'm glad we're together now at the end. And it's like... It, the only oh, way God. that scene is creepier is that if he continues to pull all the way into, like, a full hug and then whispers that into his ear. I thought he was going to kiss Picard at that one moment. Like, I'm glad we're together <laughs> Jupiter Ascending, but I know people were all kind of talking about it was terrible, but like, everything I ever saw with Eddie Redmayne and him talking in that voice and wearing that outfit, it's like somebody watched this, like the Wachowskis or something watched this and was like, that's it! That's the character we want in this movie, only we wanted him to be a freckled-faced ginger. You could totally never watch Jupiter Ascending and you'd be okay. Yeah. Like, Really? Yeah, I was cool. I was cool just listening to people talk about it and, you know, uh, seeing the trailers. That was all right. Yeah. Like, nah, I'm good. (laughs) So, okay. So, yeah, creepy death scene here. And then Data, of course, is aboard the scimitar because he's torpedoed himself across space. He slaps the uh, emergency transport thing on Picard, sends him back to the Enterprise, and then says goodbye. Okay. Still, not what I was looking for. And then he does destroy the weapon, which makes the ship explode. But I don't know, wouldn't that still have released radiation everywhere? Because that weapon was, like, charged. Like, it was ready to go, and then he blows up the ship. I felt like that still would have flooded the whole area with the radiation. Am I overthinking this? 
No, that's what I thought as well. And he essentially just sort of fired at it with a phaser. There was no sort of, what I was expecting was some sort of deactivation, not, eh, let's fire this thing at it and hope it works. Yeah. Not, <laughs> it's data that's supposed to be an intelligent solution, not fire at it. <laughs> um, I, I have to say, for someone who is doing a podcast two plus hours of analyzing this movie <laughs> and then <laughs> ask, am I just getting too much into this? we're way past that Rebecca I know right now I ask that now I ask that am I overthinking it this is really where the movie starts to fall apart for me (laughs) guys right here is where the movie falls apart for me Uh, up until now I was totally on board I was right there on the bridge of the Enterprise I know exactly so um, the ship explodes which somehow solves the problem people then begin to realize that uh, Data is gone we see people are grieving for him and the Romulan commander she contacts the Enterprise and says you know I'm sending over shuttles and medical supplies to help you guys and Picard's like really just like in shock that this all happened like he's just you know you, you can just kind of see him like I, I don't know how to process this then we get a, a nice little scene here the bridge crew is assembled and they are drinking some Chateau Picard wine Picard does toast to absent friends and to family and um you know we think about of course you know we've just lost data but this crew has lost other people too through the years and and Riker talks about the first time he saw data he was in the holodeck leaning against a tree trying to whistle a song Riker says he can't remember the song but do you guys remember the song that data was whistling in that first episode yeah it's from encounter at farpoint right yep something about no pinocchio no that wasn't it no i can't remember i'm sorry He's whistling Pop Goes the Weasel. <sighs> Damn, I knew that was it. Something he, childish. He's trying to whistle Pop Goes the Weasel. He can't get it, of course. Which we still see uh, in the episode Brothers, which we previously reviewed. Uh, Data still cannot whistle, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> you know, we kind of wind down the movie. The Enterprise is in space dock. They're getting repairs. In his ready room, Picard and Riker say their goodbyes. You know... As you mentioned earlier, Steve, Riker is uh, taking command of the Titan. They're going to the neutral zone, and they are going to head up this new task force. To... Can I say something about this scene? Yeah, go for it. So I've seen plenty of people leave like the Enterprise you know, for the last time or for a long period. And I, there's been so many scenes where they've like walked down to the transport to room with them to say goodbye. And, like, I just could not believe Riker just, like, pivots, turns out, and just walks out the ready room. And that's the end of it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, there's no, like, champagne toast and a send-off or, like, you know, some kind of, like, line where they're just building, like, one of those, like, cheerleader pyramids where their hands <laughs> touch each other or something. You, you, you know, there's nothing. Toast, and it made me think of, like, they're like, yes, he's gone! All right! <laughs> I wanted to talk about some deleted scenes, and, and that's one of them, but yeah. I, I guess I could talk about that scene there. But apparently there's, like, a whole set of deleted scenes where, you know, he's saying goodbye to Picard, and that they're introducing this, the new first officer, uh, Commander Madden. Commander Madden's in, like, three scenes where it's the next, you know, Picard's next first officer. And he makes a joke, and Riker tells Madden that he's like, any advice? And Riker's like, yeah, John Luke is really laid back. 
or Picard, Captain Picard's really laid back. He likes to just be called Jean-Luc at all times. <laughs> and, like, to me, like, that's the scenes you leave in. Like, that's yeah. the stuff that we like as Star Trek fans. And, and, and I think that would have been a, definitely a better, like, goodbye for Riker than the scene that we got, obviously. It, it almost feels like both of these men are suddenly too afraid to show emotion to each other. Yeah. Like... Uh, I'll miss you. No homo. Like it, it's yeah, like when at the beginning. I mean, jokes aside, it, Picard was like, "You're my family. I love you so much." You know. It's like, <laughs> now he's like, "Peace." Deuces. Yeah. As every time someone leaves, Rebecca's been going deuces, deuces. Yeah. It is strange. I, I feel like it's very out of character for these two men who have been through incredible adventures together. They've seen each other through life and death, and as you said, Brooke Picard in the beginning says, you are my family. And now all of a sudden it's like, goodbye, number one. Well, okay. <laughs> That's it. Like no hug, no nothing. Um, it is so strange. I, I, I agree with you too, Steve. I think they cut the wrong stuff from this movie. It seems like they were really trying to make this blockbuster movie to, uh, and it just lost some of the heart that Star Trek had. They were, trying to go for the explosions fast right. cars kind of crowd yeah whereas you can sneak in you can sneak in like touching moments and good stuff in there and still have all that stuff still have all that the crazy action and everything and well especially at the end like when it's all wrapping up yeah, i mean that's like, that's when you have those touching moments yeah and you can do that and it can it can work but it's like well maybe we ought to maybe we ought to back off a little bit on the fluffy stuff well speaking okay. of which there was another scene that got cut out of the last few scenes where Worf and Jordy is cleaning out data's quarters Aww. and spot jumps up onto Worf's lap Aww. and Worf is like uh, i'm not a cat person but like the cat's like purring and Jordy's like, I think he likes you. And that's it. Like, why can't we get that? That's good closure for, for data too, right yeah. there. Yeah. Because it, it tells us also to like, someone will take care of spot. And exactly. especially because previously we've seen that Worf and spot did not get along, mm -hmm. but now they oh, do. Well, yep. It's full Riker circle in spot because he got scratched before yes. whenever he was, in that play and was made, made to thought that he was in, that he was crazy. And anyway, that's right. That's how he lost his eye, right? <laughs> yes. 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 That's exactly how he lost his eye. Uh, <laughs> Spot was a flurkin. Yes. I mean, he was a, it was a ginger cat, but wasn't Spot a different cat to begin with? I feel like it wasn't always orange, but anyway, I mean, mostly it's been orange, but I feel like way early on, it was not orange. I wonder how many spots there have been. Oh, I'm sure there's been a bunch um, of spots. <laughs> um, yeah, it's very strange to me. Also, too, like um, something about this movie, which uh, is that doesn't make a lot of sense is not doesn't make a lot of sense, but like is unfortunate that like Worf doesn't have anything to do in this movie. Like they don't they very they, they don't give him very much to do. He fires a few phasers here and there, but. Other than that, he's kind of just there. The best thing um, he does is he says that the Romulans died with honor. That's it, yeah. Because it means so much as him being a Klingon saying that. And that's sad that that's, that's all he's got. 
Yeah. Oh, we got him getting angry about Irving Berlin. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Reason. That's important. Hey, Brooke, uh, there were five cats that played Spot, oh. and initially it was a long-haired Somali cat, and then Spot shape-shifted into a tabby for later episodes. <laughs> yep, I told you it was a flurkin. Yep, yeah. definitely a flurkin. Five. That's a nice. okay. Captain so Marvel that's reference for those that don't read the comics unfortunately those of yeah they definitely cut the wrong scenes that's for sure our final shot of the movie pretty much is picard is talking to b4 but it's so soon after data's death it's like oh but we've got this backup so there's that um and he's trying to tell data he's trying to tell b4 like what kind of a of a man data was that he was always trying to be human and he was trying to be more than himself and B4 is just like, I don't get it. And Picard's like, yeah, we know. You don't get anything. Like, and derp, derp. Yeah, derp, derp, derp. <laughs> I don't know anything. As Picard leaves the room, B4 begins to sing the opening to Blue Skies. And Worf immediately barges in <laughs> in a rage of, why are you singing Irving Berlin? <laughs> I said no Berlin. I said no Berlin. Oh. <laughs> And that would have been something at least Worf could do. And then um, and then Picard kind of smiles and walks off knowing that a piece of data will survive on in B4. And maybe, you know, who knows with time what will happen. That is Nemesis. We did it, you guys. Yeah, I have to say, I enjoyed the theme. Like it was, it was like the regular theme song, but it was more orchestral and more fitting of a, a motion picture and stuff so I, I i don't know i just i just thought it was nice yeah i i thought that the music was definitely a throwback to earlier star trek movies there were moments where it did sound very tos it sounded very wrath of khan in parts and it sounded it, it even sounded there were moments where it sounded like motion picture mm-hmm. uh so yeah the most star trekky thing of the movie besides the fact that they were wearing Starfleet uniforms. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, And also, too, I thought there were a couple of moments where, like, the lighting was very reminiscent of of original series. Like, there's the scene where Deanna is, like, um, reaching out, like, with her empathic abilities. And, like, everything is... It does the uh, uh, Morticia Adams lighting. Yeah, yeah. just on the just eyes. eyes. That's yeah. very that's very original series. Yes. Yeah, yes. too. Yeah, th- this movie definitely. I felt like it tried to connect you back to like you know classic Trek stuff. Too much stuff pulled you out. Of- <sighs> yeah, I mean, okay, so yeah, not a perfect movie, of course. Like, not, I don't think anything is a perfect movie, but like. Um, problematic, sure, but I think that there's certainly parts in here that I still enjoy watching, and I think that there's a lot here that does tie into Picard, because, I mean, obviously, we've seen in the trailer that there is an android in Picard, we know Brent Spiner will be there, uh, playing before, we assume, but he could also be appearing as a flashback to Data in, you know, previous iterations or something so yeah we'll have to see of course once picard starts hopefully you know by the time you're hearing this in in real time um the next episode you'll hear will be episode one of picard that's the that's the goal here guys and so 
Uh, I, I'll just say, I guess for, for both me and Brooke, I'm so glad that you took this journey with us to revisit some TNG episodes as well as the movie Nemesis. And then, you know, stick with us uh, as we watch Picard together and talk about it. And can't wait to hear what you all think about it too. And very exciting. So before we say goodnight, uh, Faye, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, you have a podcast, you have a project, where can people talk to you on the interwebs if they want to talk to you? If they want to talk to me on the interwebs, um, I'm usually hanging around on the Leftover Army page, or you can find me on Twitter or Instagram as Overrated Pixie. That's one R. Um, also, November is coming up, which means it's almost November time, which means it's almost Faye Walks Five Kilometers time. Um, my other half is a Movember ambassador, and his face will be appearing on billboards across the UK mm. and in advertisements, which is very terrifying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will be harassing people for donations and reminding gentlemen, please check your balls. Yeah. Always a good advice for gentlemen, check your balls. She also has check a really balls. cute dog that has an uh, Instagram. Yes! If you also wish to follow my, follow my dog, a sausage named Beans, um, he is a sausage dog, and he's very cute. And he also posts more on Instagram than I do. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, uh, we will post a link on our webpage as well so that people can uh, contribute to your efforts to uh, for Movember. Absolutely. Steve, what about you? Anything you'd like to plug or where can people find you on the internet and talk to you? Um, sorry, I'm just trying to add Faye's dog on Instagram. Right? <laughs> so, um, I don't blame you. He is adorable. <laughs> I'm the only, uh, I'm, I'm active on, on the Leftover Army page and I have an Instagram where I mainly buy, sell, and trade comic books, uh, particularly vintage silver age bronze age books and that is uh minor keys comics um just post a lot of my personal collection and things that i upgrade and sell off and and trade and because that's what i love to do comic books awesome so we'll happily post a link to your instagram as well um so if you enjoy comics you can definitely uh follow steve's page uh, brooke and i talk about comics sometimes too on different podcasts as well um so you can also talk to us about comics um brooke is there anything else we should say before we say good night um if you have any suggestions on what we should close out with we're still taking suggestions on that. We never know how to end this show. Um, <laughs> uh, again, um, after you know, after the episodes, you'll have all our information where you can contact us, our email and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, just keep in touch. Uh, if you want to correct us about something, please be nice about it. Don't, yes. Don't be, don't be a jerk. Okay. Uh, Please be nice. We're trying our best. Yes. We're just people, though. Yeah. You, know. you two are doing a great job. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> if you couldn't say it to Captain Picard, don't say it to Brooke and Rebecca. Oh, I like that. Yes, nice. exactly. If you wouldn't say it to Captain Picard, don't say it to us. I love it. Uh, awesome. 
Um, yeah, so hopefully you've enjoyed what we've done so far, and I can't wait to see what this new show holds. And I'm yeah. also excited about what we're going to do in between seasons, because I'm really hoping they do get to do the three seasons like they want. I know. We've got plans for in between seasons, but those are secret plans. <laughs> we'll tell you about it later. <laughs> you need you need level two security clearance to know about our plans, and you don't have that yet. So, anyway, character access code. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Um, next time we talk to you, we will be talking about brand new Star Trek content. Uh, first episode of Picard. Uh, until then, have a great night. Keep boldly going where no one's gone before. We'll see you later. Bye. The Cardcast is hosted by Rebecca and Brooke. You can find us at facebook.com slash picardcast, on twitter.com at thepicardcast, or email us at picardcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and boldly go where no one has gone before.